Killstreak episode 32. I'm Eric Goslin. Joining me as always, Michael Price. How are you, sir? I'm doing well on this sunny Saturday afternoon. Yeah, Perf- it's a rare daytime weekend record for us, but our schedules are all goofed up because of our big Halloween plans. That's right. Uh, stay tuned to learn more about that. At the end of the episode, we're going to reveal what our very first commentary episode is going to be and who our guest is. And uh, we actually recorded it a few days ago. It was a blast. Yes, it could have gone um, terribly, but it didn't. <laughs> yeah, uh, hopefully I might have to try to thread the needle a little more in terms of drunkenness. Because I feel like I was, I was kind of drunk by the end of it. <laughs> I didn't notice anything. I'll, okay, good, I'll try good. to give you active feedback after I edit it, but I think, uh, yeah. Okay. I felt like we really hit the nail right on the head with, with booziness. I think I could have d- scaled it back maybe like five percent and okay. I, by the end by the end of it i felt like my my uh i was getting a little rambly and not pronouncing words <laughs> as clearly as i could but maybe that might just be all in my head yeah you know i mean well but if you feel that way then that also matters too you know yeah that's yeah. a great point yeah uh, so speaking of our big October plans, mm-hmm. we're doing John Carpenter all month. Yeah. Uh, yeah. this is exciting. It's, I mean, it's a total break in format. October mm-hmm. is all about breaking format for us, which I like. I, I like thematically because the normal format of our podcast would be very well suited for, uh, a special Halloween month. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> we zig <laughs> instead of zagging, you know, yeah. <laughs> Um, um, what? So, uh, yeah, yeah, listeners, you know, you know, uh, maybe yeah. maybe you're joining us here for the first time. We rate all the scariness of the movies we we watch on what we call the Carpenter scale. Um, so, for instance, on our scale, the top of the top is the thing. Sometimes we mm-hmm. say it's Halloween. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the bottom, the least scary, would be like the made-for-TV Elvis movie or mm-hmm. Starman, mm-hmm. Memoirs of an Invisible Man, that kind of thing. How how disappointed are people going to be when we don't watch the Elvis movie this month? <laughs> I know, yeah. I do have the Elvis movie. I, the DVD really? oh, came in the mail. Oh, it's like almost three hours long. Jesus. <laughs> So uh, eventually I will watch that. Yeah. That's a promise. But uh, so we realize that there are a couple of the more recent Carpenter movies like The Ward that we haven't seen mm-hmm. or ones that we had seen so long ago that it was almost like we hadn't seen it. Yeah. And our movie today, Christine, I think falls into that latter category. Yeah. So I was thinking hard about this and I decided that I've seen Christine once. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe I was in high school uh, and it was a library rental. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. Because I so I used to spend a lot of time in the summer. uh, Are you familiar with Block Island being a a New Englander? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my family were not rich. 
but we own an old, a very old cottage. And it's been there since the 60s on Block Island. Uh, and it's shared by all the uncles and aunts and cousins and whatnot. But I'd go there for like two weeks every summer and just sit around and watch movies <laughs> instead of like yeah. enjoying the great outdoors. <laughs> um, and yeah, I love Stephen King so much. Still do, uh, you know, with a little bit more. Uh, a little more measured these days, but yeah, obviously still sure. Um, and yeah, this was one of the the many movies that I consumed via rental, and and I will say that I didn't remember liking it all that much the first time I saw it. I didn't think it was bad, but and we don't have to get yeah. into the blood and guts yet. This that's just sort of my intro to Christine. What about you? Mine is pretty similar. Um, I because I was thinking about this last night. I think I've only seen this one once, and. I was probably a little bit younger than you, maybe like 13, mm-hmm. 12, 13, and it was at a sleepover. Okay. Um, and we watched it because I can't remember if at that point I had read the book or not, um, but it was kind of just one of those movies that was always brought up by parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I feel like a lot of parents just conflate horror movies with Stephen King movies. Sure. Because uh, he was very popular mm-hmm. during the time. Still is very popular, but you know, in the eighties and nineties, these movies were coming out at a pretty heavy clip. Uh, and still also, are. yeah, still are. Um, and I also had the same reaction where mm-hmm. I didn't really like it very much. I kind of thought it was a little boring. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's funny what you say about the parents uh, singling this one out. I feel like part of that is because the elevator pitch for this movie is so straightforward. It's so straightforward and so dumb. Too. Yeah, it's just like evil car. That's it. Yep. It's two words. Yep. That's all you need. Yeah, um, exactly. That's a great point. Uh, and yeah, do you want to... I'm debating. Do you want to talk a little bit about Carpenter before we go into the movie? Or do you just want to jump into the blood and guts and see what happens? No, let's talk about Carpenter. You mean okay. like our relationship with him? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just because we're going to do a whole month of his stuff. And I think it's just yeah. worth talking about a little bit because this is the first carpenter movie we've done right Mm -hmm. uh because as we mentioned on the last podcast if we were going to approach this the way that um you know the format of our podcast would demand the only opportunity we're going to have to work with the carpenter oeuvre is going to be for halloween Right. Yes. Yep. And even that, it's just the first one. And then obviously as a producer, he was involved with at least two and three. But then I think beyond that, it's almost I don't even think he has any kind of creative input until this most recent David Gordon Green one. Um, Yeah. You know, so Carpenter for me, um, I think is if I'm if I'm singling out horror directors, top three. Mm-hmm. Um, and all directors, he's absolutely on my top 10 and I, maybe my top five. I don't know. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's as something I love that is so deep, deep in my bones. So. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. Um, and even though there are, you know, there's a couple of movies of his I haven't seen, mm-hmm. uh, the ones that I love are some of my favorite movies of all time. Yes. Like the thing, mm-hmm. like Halloween. I love escape from New York. Yeah, um, assault on precinct thirteen. Mm-hmm. All like I love those. Yeah, I would argue that over the course of ten years, I'm looking directly at his filmography. But for in in the in in one decade spanning from 1976 to 1986, he made 
four, five movies that to me are unassailable all-time classics. Mm. And that would be Assault on Precinct 13, Halloween, Escape from New York, Mm -hmm. The Thing, and Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, yeah, Big Trouble in Little China. Yes, absolutely. And they live too. Um, I love that movie. I don't think mm-hmm. it's one of his best, but I I think it's I awesome. It. Yeah, and that's yeah. and that's two years later. And I think I think also it's you know this is something that I think we'll end up talking about more as we go through this month of especially the latter day Carpenter stuff. They live also kind of marks the end of the era of yeah of really good Carpenter movies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you've never seen Memoirs of an Invisible Man, right? Um, I did when I was a kid, but okay. it wasn't something that I even would have connected to John Carpenter at the time. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's the next one after they live. And that's a long break. He took four years off before he kind of came back. And then from there on out, there's nothing that I think makes most people's list of the greats. Um, no. Oh, I think another, another series, another movie he directed that we could potentially mm-hmm. cover at some point mm-hmm. is, um, Vampires, John Carpenter's. Yes, vampires. that's another one that for me was almost on this month's list. And who knows? Like we haven't mm-hmm. we haven't locked everything in yet, so we'll see where the winds take us. Um, but yeah, I mean, how do you? <laughs> I, I I'm hard pressed to think of someone who was. I mean, when you when you try to find comparisons for someone who was that prolific at such a high level, like you're immediately already talking about like, I don't know, fucking Steven Spielberg, right? Like who else made that many great movies right? in, in such a, it's such a clip. I don't know. It's hard. To, I mean, other than like, this is so subjective. Mm-hmm. David Lynch is like my favorite, one of my favorite directors. Mm-hmm. I'd say he, like most of his movies are, but you know, he's got a couple in there that aren't. Great. Yeah obviously but yeah it's it's tough especially in the horror world like, yeah Wes Craven comes to mind but I think he's got a lower man, batting average yeah I think so yeah I really think so mm-hmm. um yeah like Romero is another one of my favorites and he like there's some of those movies in there that just like yeah. are great mixed in with some of the great ones and Carpenter in what I love about his movies all the movies that we've listed as being our favorites, they're mm-hmm. all pretty different from one another. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They all kind of have like a uh, – stylistically yes. have a Carpenter feel. Mm-hmm. Like watching Christine, I was like, oh, this looks and sounds and feels right. like a Carpenter movie. In parts, um, yeah. Not all yeah. of it did to me. I mean, it, I mean, as a whole it did. But I definitely – we'll talk about this more. But I feel like the movie really sings when – when that's how it feels. And then when it feels like less of a John Carpenter production, it's like, meh, whatever. Yeah. Well, there's, uh, we'll get into it with our blood and guts check, but you know, there, there are some times when it's like, Oh, this is a Stephen King. Like mm-hmm. there's the Stephen Kingness of it really kind of shines through. Yeah. It. Yeah. Um, and I think that that might be a good segue to start talking about Christine, because I also want to, I want to pose this question to you. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, this is a little bit of an unholy marriage. Does the Stephen King mm. element feel at odds with the style of John Carpenter? Interesting. Um, I hadn't really thought about it. I guess let's first let's let's uh, maybe I can answer that question by mm-hmm. just talking about my experience watching it this time. Okay. 
<clears throat> which was um, I can understand why I didn't like it when mm-hmm. I was a young kid at a sleepover watching it. Yeah, because it's a slow burn movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this time around, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I had a, I had a fun time watching it. I thought it was a very well made movie. Uh-huh. Um, it's not going to rank in my top Carpenter movies, but it, it was definitely like a pleasant rediscovery for me. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and go ahead. You, uh, let me think more about your question. Okay. Um, for me, and I, I feel like it's funny cause I feel like we've been in this groove a little bit lately, um, where you and I have been taking the same positions, whereas it, it's been flip flopped and, or, or we've been more in sync in the past. I mm. think that <laughs> I feel like this is just going to sound like deja vu to regular listeners. I agree with everything that you said, but I feel all of it a little bit less. Okay. Um, to where I think that it is as a whole a little bit like I think the story is really underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Sure. And I think that you like we, where you would use the adjective slow burn, I'm just going to call it slow. Okay. Um, yeah. And and like I as specifically, I made a note to myself right around the time that I think it's I think the scene where it hit me was like Arnie showing up at um, the hospital to visit. um his buddy for the first time, right? Dennis, like yeah. Dennis after the football injury. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, I was like, is this a high school movie or what is, is cause if it's like just a high school drama, it's not interesting enough to be that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know enough about these characters, but I, I mean, it's like, yeah, he's just kind of fixing a car in the background of 35 minutes of kind of mediocre high school drama, you know? It's funny that you single you singled that scene out because that was one scene where when it happened, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't necessarily I don't, like this feels out of place. Yeah, in in a way that's like not much happened in that scene enough to justify the scene. You know right. I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think in general, like these are these are the sort of criticisms that I would really lob at the movie. Like, what really ultimately does having Dennis get injured ha- help what does that do for this movie it kind of doesn't do anything yeah, yeah. that's a great point it, it kind of doesn't do anything uh other than it takes him out of the picture for a little bit mm-hmm. so that arnie's change is more stark when he sees him right i think yeah but i guess it could have easily have been accomplished with just him witnessing it all from afar because arnie arnie mm-hmm. gets more withdrawn um have you read the book? Because I'm kind of tempted to reread the book. I'm tempted to. No, I haven't read it. And and I think the oh, okay. biggest reason I want to read it is because it's like this this script, the story, the plotting of this movie feels choppy to me. It feels mm-hmm. like things happen too fast and then all of a sudden nothing happens for half an hour. And then... Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, just to go back to my complaint about, like, what is, like, there's no car, sh- like, like, nothing is happening with the car for fully the first quarter of the movie, really, um, mm-hmm. except for the intro, which is cool. I think the intro scene was great. Um, but not to get too ahead of the plot synopsis, but it's it's like, it feels like there are big chunks missing. It feels like there are characters who should have more shading. 
Mm-hmm. It feels like there are relationships that don't get paid off or yeah. things that just kind of like, it's like, I mean, just another example is it's like you get Harry Dean Stanton to play this like greasy, hard-boiled detective and he's in the movie for like seven minutes. It's like two scenes. Yeah. Two scenes. Yeah, yeah. And it's like he comes out of nowhere. We don't get to see, he's a policeman, but we don't see him do any fucking police work. It's just like yeah. the whole thing's a little messy to me. Uh, it is. It is. Uh, I can't disagree with you with with most of what you're saying. Um, I I do think my the, my biggest criticism with with the way it flows mm-hmm. is Arnie's change kind of happens too suddenly. Yeah, like, absolutely. We, we don't really see a gradual slip mm-hmm. into like this new character. We literally just see him. Or Dennis just sees him without his glasses one day, right? And I, I would have liked to have gotten more in Arnie's head, yeah. Um, and, and I, I don't know. I don't really mind the way it jumps around in time. It, like it kind of advances the plot pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it, it actually it doesn't. It's a pretty slow movie, <laughs> but but like it'll do time jumps where it's like all right. of a sudden it's a month later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did appreciate that. So it kind of it makes you fill in the gaps yourself. Yeah. Um, I don't mind and, that from know, a timing perspective. It's more just like right. I think that the relationships get short shrift because of that. Sure. There's this, there's one girl that I was shocked doesn't come back. That Kel- Kelly girl? Preston? Is that Kelly Preston? Yeah, fucking John Travolta's oh, okay. dead wife. That's a, what a horrible way to describe someone. Was a I mean, she was a Scientologist, so whatever. But yes. <laughs> Kelly Preston uh recently deceased, passed away this year. Yeah, yeah, breast cancer. Um yeah. That's her, and it's like... Oh, it is Kelly Preston. Yeah, Holy and shit. it's like, what? what is she doing in this movie? She's a mega babe, too. Yeah, and she just keeps uh, making eye contact with yeah, Dennis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, and, it and it's never come nothing. Back. It's, it's, yeah. and, and that, to me, really feels like it was supposed to be something, and it got cut. I don't know. It might be, like, it does feel, it does have the feeling of that. But, like, that being said, I don't know that I want a longer version of christine like no. it's almost two two hours long no it might be the longest movie that we've ever covered on this show mm-hmm. uh which is funny just like a two an hour <laughs> <and 15 laughs> <minute long movie. laughs> but like yeah that being said i only have like five pages of notes where i probably have like six pages mm-hmm. of notes on like freddy versus jason or something right <laughs> well i mean you know we talk about this sort of ad nauseum but it always comes down to grading on a curve, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like, well, you you know, you tell me to a certain degree, how do we want to evaluate this movie? I came into it because we're doing this under the auspices of like filling in the blanks in the Carpenter scale. When I hold this up to other John Carpenter movies, uh-huh. I think it it's 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 failing for me largely because of what you're talking about, which is and which is Carpenter is when he's when he's on his movies are so muscular and they yeah. move they're 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 kind of like lean and they just move in this way that's like really compelling and yeah. like he doesn't tend to overcomplicate things a lot of the time mm-hmm. and that's why I say why I wonder if the Stephen King element is clunky because King is a guy who revels in in spending a thousand pages uh, fleshing out the inner monologues of these characters and these relationships, you know, he loves bullies and and nerds. And, oh yeah, and like these like high school relationships and friendships and all this stuff. And I bet you this book has a lot more to say about that stuff. Uh huh. 
But it's like that kind of length and the sort of luxuriating that he tends to do. Yes. Okay. So now, now I'm with you mm -hmm. on your on your question about is this not a good mix? Yeah. Carpenter and King, because yes, King is nostalgic. Mm -hmm. He's um, very much concerned with the personal relationships of everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, he's sappy kind yeah, of sometimes. Absolutely. Um, it, which is the opposite of Carpenter, which is like cool, mm -hmm. macho. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. It basically, he wants to make westerns with all of these. Like yeah. most of his movies, feel like westerns, even when they're horror movies. Mm -hmm. um, in a way, yeah, I so agree yes, with that. Now, yeah. Now I'm on board with you. Yeah, I do think it's just not, just in its DNA, just doesn't work. Right. Exactly. Because the thing is, like, I can never deny, especially in this era, like the directorial skill of John Carpenter. He's great, yeah. and you can see it in parts of this movie. But I was trying to figure out is like, how did this happen? And that to me seems like the thing that makes the most sense, which is just mm -hmm. you're trying to put a square peg into a round hole here. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. Uh, and we can talk about it more as we go through. But yeah. Like, so, so, you know, somebody I think who nailed King mm -hmm. a couple times uh, in they're not not in a horror movie, mm -hmm. but Rob Reiner, I think, is the yeah. good mix of like nostalgia with like not being afraid to mm -hmm. be talky and, and, and have like a little sh schmaltzy. Right. Like with, with stand by me and you know, the misery is not, you know, but misery is a two misery is a two hander. It's entirely yes. character relationship. That's the yep. whole thing yep. is just two people, you know? Mm -hmm. um, well, so yeah, let's, let's, let's go, let's get into the movie. Uh, Cause I'm sure a lot of this stuff will come up for us okay excellent um so this one uh this is right in okay here's here's a sort of this is the disclaimer when you talk about john carpenter's career is that this guy maybe more so than anybody else is his his career is painted by failure in the moment and then cult and critical acclaim coming later yes right and if you've ever heard an interview with him, he is, he could not be more bitter about it. <laughs> uh, and I do not blame him even a little bit, but it's like, he basically had what, I mean, in like he made, so he's making really amazing movies basically for almost, you know, 15 years, something close to that. And in that period of time, I want to say, Halloween is a big success, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then, I mean, what? What? Starman, I guess, was a relative success. Um, but like all of these movies that we think of as being like the Carpenter greats, for the most part, like kind of bombed, and yeah. like got him like in his mind at least, almost not quite blacklisted, but it's just like he was always battling with the studios sort of in his head or in real life, right? But it's like Halloween is a success. Uh, the Fog is a commercial success, but it critically gets kind of panned and the production was a nightmare. Yeah. Um, Escape from New York was successful. The Thing famously a huge bomb. 
huge, uh, critically was torn apart. Yeah, as well. which is fucking insane because it's one it's of the insane. best movies ever made. <laughs> yeah, yep. uh, people are people are stupid. Um, I don't really know what else to say other than that. <laughs> um, this movie, middle of the road. Uh, Starman got pretty good reviews. Did okay, and then that's it. That's like he never had any other major success after that. Big Trouble is a failure. Then he goes to kind of lower budget with The Prince of Darkness and They Live. And again, these are movies that that developed a cult following, but mm-hmm. it's just like. This was a guy who has influenced countless filmmakers, countless musicians. Um, his movies are just beloved by genre fans now, but it's like it was always an uphill battle for him. It was a struggle to just get a successful movie made. Um, and I think a lot of that is due to the fact that he is working in in the deep end of the pool. Like, he's making studio movies, right? Like, other horror directors kind of uh, are maybe over the course of their careers are exposed to less criticism like this because they're making smaller budget films. So when they have any kind of success, it's easy to say, oh yeah, they did good, right? Mm -hmm. But it's like when you spend the kind of budget that the thing has and then it bombs, it's like there's hell to pay afterwards. Yes, yeah. Um, So anyways, that's, that's the little... Uh, primer for anybody and it's also apparently some people say primer which I think is insane um, yeah I've heard both I've always said primer as well yeah that drives me nuts maybe and it's a British pronunciation of it that sounds about right um, schedule <laughs> I like schedule that one's fun <laughs> aluminium uh, that's stupid there's no I in the end of it like why would you say <laughs> minium it's not spelled that way uh, anyways so this one comes out in 1983. This is in between The Thing and Starman. So at this point, I mean, he's well established, right? This is not this is not early Carpenter. This is this is like Carpenter era Carpenter. Um and at this point, Stephen King is so fucking hot. Like is so on fire. Mm-hmm. In terms of people just like he's the best selling author in the world, right? People can't get enough of this shit. They're adapting everything they can get their hands on. So Columbia options this book before it comes out. And they started production on this movie before the book was released. Really? Yes. <laughs> Did you zone out? No, you froze. Oh, okay. Did you hear what I said? <laughs> Yes, I said really. Yeah, I, didn't, I know. I thought maybe that you wanted to talk about it, or I can just. No, 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 no. Sorry, no. You were breaking up, but I heard you. Okay, great. This is great podcasting. Um, <laughs> so, they started production on this movie, Eric, before the book was released. Yeah, no, I heard. I heard you. Yeah, no, I just thought maybe you would have a conversation with me. Um, oh, I don't sure, know, sorry. or if you had thoughts about it, you know, as the, uh, as the other host of the podcast. That's crazy. Um, yeah, that's that doesn't. Uh, maybe that happens. I'm not sure. I don't really have much. That's 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 a crazy thing. Glad you brought it up. But, I mean, it's it is an interesting fact. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what you want. <laughs> Holy fuck! Holy shit! Oh my god! Get, hold on. I gotta tell my wife this. 
Oh boy, do you want to go grab a soda? I can just talk to people about about the movie for. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, fine. Um. So. Uh. Yeah. The. Um. The cast of this one was so again just this is this is like a big studio movie right so initially they're throwing people at him like they want brooke shields for the lee role they want scott Bayo to play arnie somehow (laughs) as if that makes any fucking sense uh and carpenter to his credit as he frequently does was like no fuck you guys that's good um yeah, Carpenter is doesn't seem like somebody who minces his words at all. No. Maybe that's probably why he doesn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he definitely... I mean, it's not hard to find stories of him, like, rubbing people the wrong way. Um, I think that's mostly in terms of producers. Like, I, he doesn't have sure. a reputation as, like, a, a tough director uh, with cast or anything or crew. Uh, I think he's just a guy who knows what he wants, and it's like he... Mm-hmm. he he's he's very willing to like tell off uh you know some dumb shit producer uh when they have a bad idea they're trying to foist on him um he he strikes me as the type of director and i don't know this i should i should look this up at that sort of like the cohen brothers where he probably doesn't talk to the actors that much <laughs> like he probably just like he casts people yeah. who he thinks are going to be good and then mm-hmm. kind of just like all right action you know that i mean that checks out for sure um he uh so they shot this this is i mean like like the vast majority of carpenter movies this is shot in los angeles um had some locations out in santa clarita in irwindale uh for like the garages and the factories and stuff like that but street shots and all of that this is all in la um and then the cast that actually ends up coming together um, is, you know, he wanted young actors who were kind of unknown. He was not going for big names, right? So mm-hmm. you have your kind of three principles. Obviously, Arnie is the main character. Um, is It's funny. When he popped up, I was like, this guy seems so familiar looking. Yeah. But then it's like he's not in that much stuff. Yeah, no, I I agree. Like when he when he came on the screen, I'm like, oh, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I'm like looking at his filmography, and I don't really know where I would have gotten that right. guy from. So this is his second most famous role. His biggest role is he plays Jason Mellon in Back to School. He plays Rodney Dangerfield's son. Okay. Right. Uh, and then other than that, he's in Dress to Kill, which I haven't seen, but a lot of people have. And he's also one of like the kind of core group of kid of like teenagers in Jaws too. Um, okay, but that's it. I mean, for me at least, like that's all the stuff that I know him from. Um, uh, I know I'm probably taking the wind out of your quizmaster sails. No, I want Here, you to participate. There's one, <laughs> there's one character. This this just seemed like a classic. Did you recognize this guy? Um, Stephen Tash, who plays Rich. Oh yeah, it took it took me through most of the movie to realize where he is from. <laughs> really, where I recognized him from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the he's like, second I saw him, I was like, ah, oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He plays. Uh, he's the guy getting quizzed by or getting tortured by. Yeah. Doctor Peter Venkman in Ghostbusters, and he's great. He's so good yeah. in that scene, and he's done almost nothing outside of no, this and that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's. Yeah, so it just took me because he's like so distinct looking. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, it just took me a second to get there. 
Yeah, no, he's especially well, and in this one, his hair is even better somehow than yes, it is in yes. Ghostbusters. Uh, he's got a great look. Uh, sad that he didn't do more stuff. Um, I saw one current day video of him that was on some Ghostbusters special feature, and he looks like a nut a nut bar. So, oh really? Uh, yeah. Google it. <laughs> In the meantime, Keith Gordon uh, made a big transition from acting to directing and is currently still a successful TV director. Uh, you guys would certainly recognize his credits. He's done a couple features. None of those were real big. But he started directing in TV with... I don't know if if anybody my age or older... Yes. <laughs> Eric's, Eric's showing me the picture of Stephen Tash uh, with his insane hair. Uh, He's a crazy looking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look at, just look up Stephen Tash. That's all I looked up is, is Stephen Tash. And it's like one of the first image results. And he looks insane. Yeah. Yeah, he looks totally nuts. Um, so I was about to shout out if anybody in the older members of our audience remember. There was an ABC miniseries in the early 90s called Wild Palms, which was sort of mm. uh, like there. It was like a futuristic Lynchian kind of thing they were going mm. for. They were trying to kind of capitalize on the success of Twin Peaks, uh, but it's like set in, in L.A. in the near future. And it's very weird. Uh, I've seen bits and pieces of it, but I boy, oh boy, do I rem- it was It was presented by Oliver Stone, but I remember seeing so many goddamn commercials yeah, for that. Yeah, and then never watched it. Yeah, it was... Oh, man. He, yeah. What were you going to say? He directed The Chocolate War, which is a cool movie. Oh, I've never seen it. Yeah, that's his yeah, first feature. Yeah. yeah. It has a great soundtrack by Yaz. Yaz is the shit. Mm-hmm. Love some Yaz. Um, but yeah, Gordon's still working a ton today. He worked on House... On Dexter, on Nurse Jackie, The Leftovers, Better Call Saul, Homeland. He's currently directing an episode of this season of Fargo. Uh, so, yeah, he's, I mean, he's a legit director these days. That's uh, right. Which, oddly enough, is also something you could arguably say about his co-star, John Stockwell, who plays Dennis, right? Something about this, the DNA of this movie. But so Dennis is like more of a hot dude actor. He was a model before he got pulled into acting. Probably not like the most shocking thing to find out. Yeah, he's a good looking dude. Yeah. He's in Eddie and the Cruisers. He's in Losing It. Uh, He's got a big role in My Science Project. I don't know if you watched that as a kid. Um, No. Yeah, it's sort of like a poor man's. Like, they were trying to capitalize on, like, Back to the Future, like, Real Genius, like, all these uh, weird science, like, kid, like, teen kid science fiction stuff. Um, but, yeah, maybe, did you did you recognize uh, John Stockwell as Cougar from Top Gun? Yes, yes, yeah. of course. Um, so, yeah, so he goes on to kind of wrap up his acting for the most part. Uh, in the late 90s, but he also makes the jump to directing more feature stuff. So he is the yeah. director of Crazy Beautiful with Kristen Dunst. Oh, yeah. Sure. He's got a run of uh, surfing movies. He directed Blue Crush uh, with Kate Bosworth and Michelle Rodriguez. He he directed um, also, what's the other surfing movie? Uh, uh, I'm thinking Into of, the Blue. Into the Blue, right, with Paul Walker. Um 
Is that Jessica Alba in that one too? Is that who it is? Uh, it is, um, yes. Yeah. And then, yeah, can you guys hear us clicking on IMDb? And then. <laughs> <laughs> this is our famous segment. Yeah. We look at IMDb pages. <laughs> <laughs> and Teresa's, yeah. So, anyways, lots of, uh, lots of d- good directing work there. More of a feature uh, track than Keith Gordon. And then, kind of rounding out the major cast uh, is Alexandra Paul as Lee, who a lot of people know from Baywatch. Uh, but to mm. me, she will always be the Virgin Connie Swale from Dragnet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's how she would like to be remembered. I'm sure it, it certainly <laughs> must be. But yeah, I, she had that kind of energy, I guess, because she plays. A little bit of a hard to get, uh, you know, uh, high school crush object in this one. So, yeah, she obviously got kind of cast into a, a typecast a little bit as this very beautiful, but almost very sort of reserved and proper, um, you know, female character. Bunch of great actors in smaller parts Robert Prosky, mm-hmm. Harry She's Dean great. Stanton. Uh, Robert's Blossom, who we will talk about when he shows up. I don't want to. I don't want to get into that too much right now. But um, Robert's Blossom. I don't know. That. Yeah. Oh, this guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and as Eric uh, tipped last time around, the return of Stu Charno in a very yeah, small yeah. role. I, very small. Yeah. Sometimes, for some reason, I remembered him being in this more, but I guess I was wrong. I also remember his death scene being different but i who knows i mean it's not different but i don't know why i said who knows we're gonna hypnotize <laughs> we're gonna hypnotize you we're gonna get to the bottom of this right, we're gonna figure out what what you remembered and why yeah. um but yeah anyway so christine uh comes out in 1983 it did okay that's pretty much it wasn't a bomb wasn't a hit just uh Kind of hung around in the middle of the top ten at the box office for five, six, seven weeks, and then uh, that was it. And uh, the reviews were, again, okay to good. You know, not a lot right. of raves, not really many pans. A couple of like, uh, eh, this isn't as good as some other Carpenter movies. <laughs> which, yeah, sure. Which is, which I think I can get on board with. Yeah, which, which I think we can all sort of agree. Like, yeah, I think that's about right. This is a fine movie that's uh, not yeah, as good as exactly. some other Carpenter movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that pretty much covers the details that I wanted to get into. Um, yeah, the King stuff. We'll talk a little bit more about King towards the end of this episode. But uh, yeah, but yeah, the book did well. Um, no one's surprised, right? Because all of Stephen King's books did well then. Um, but yeah, this one, I mean, again, before we jump into it, like my, the, the, the sentiment that I really want to communicate is like when you hear, and I think you said something akin to this, but it's like when someone pitches you, it's an evil car. My response is that sounds kind of dumb. I don't know if that's going to work. Yes. And I think that's the right response to have. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I was thinking because this movie is not gory at all. No. <clears throat> um, and, but then I realized it's extremely gory. If you think about the cars, <laughs> the cars getting damaged, <laughs> there's a lot of car carnage. And it's I true. think, 
Like, there's cars getting mutilated. Yeah. And it's sort of a body horror movie for a car. Body shop horror? <laughs> yeah. Body shop horror. It has a new, it's a new All right. genre. All right. I love it. Um, well, I, I, I think we're going to have to redo our end segment for the Mount Rushmore of body yeah, shop horror. Yeah, body shop horror movies. <laughs> the Blues Brothers. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, that's all I've got. Do we want to uh, take a break and jump in to the movie? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's take a break. Hear a word from our sponsor, and then we're gonna jump into this movie. Okay. We have a pretty good-looking title card. Um, the you know Christine, and it's like cursive Chrysler font. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the sound of a car revving, then bad to the bone. <laughs> George Thorogood plays, and we see shots of an assembly line at a Chrysler factory. The cars look fucking great. Yeah. Like, those are some cool-looking cars. I'm not even a car guy. No, they look dope. And also, just this opening credit sequence, uh, the Christine font is unique to the movie but when we first see john carpenter's name in the production credits it is the classic carpenter font which i love i always love to see and oh yeah i googled it it's called albertus uh albertus yeah that's the font albertus that is the typeface anytime you ever see directed by john carpenter in a movie credits that's what you're seeing is albertus that's awesome yeah uh, so Christine, all the cars are white except for Christine. She's a red one. Yeah, trivia. Rolling on the ass- you want to know something? That's the only color they actually made this car in. Uh, red? No, that that sort of whitish beige. Oh, um, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So there's like a, there's if you want to know all these details, I mean, I just got most of this from Wikipedia too. So go look it up if you're curious. <laughs> but um, yeah, they had to they had to get like twenty odd Plymouth Furies to make this movie, right? Because they fuck up so many and they need them for different shots and stuff. So they used a couple different cars too that look very similar, you know, like from like Chrysler instead of Plymouth and stuff like that. But yeah, but the Plymouth Fury never came in red so it would have to be a custom paint job to get a car that looks like this it is supposed to be a chrysler right it's a plymouth it's a plymouth oh i'm my mistake yeah. i thought it was a chrysler it is a night it is supposed to be a 1958 plymouth fury but oh. it's actually of 1957 oh so showing my ignorance with cars uh-huh. uh, right off the bat guys sorry well, Plymouth um, and Chrysler, uh, like largely the same thing. So, okay. So that's like you you shouldn't feel ashamed of yourself, right? I'm such a fucking idiot. Because Plymouth is a brand produced by the Chrysler Corporation. Oh, uh, okay. Right. Okay. And then, so you would see sometimes some models would exist at the same time as both a Plymouth and a Chrysler. I think. And then also Dodge sometimes like so for instance famously I don't know in the, in the 80s the minivan that everyone had was either a Dodge Caravan or it was a Plymouth I want to say Voyager not that positive right. yeah but either way um, so easy mistake to make so a a, a dude pops its hood, the hood on the uh, car to check it out has his hand there and the hood comes crashing down trapping it then we cut to like him getting dragged away another guy smoking a stogie 
gets in, turns the car radio on, ashes on the seat. Mm-hmm. Then the bell rings for the shift to be over, and the foreman's looking around. He still hears that radio playing. Opens a car door to investigate. The man falls out dead. Body counts up to one already, right off the bat. So really, one That's one guy in one hand. One guy, one hand, and then nothing for about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> right, which is one of the things that I was like, oh boy, this is uh, this could move a little bit faster. But yeah, do, this guy, shout out to the auto assembly worker with no name who dies because he smoked a cigar. Uh, but I was like, why do I know this dude did the thing, went to the IMDb. He's the guy who helps out McLean in Die Hard 2. Oh, really? He's like the sort of, uh, you know, the Reginald Vell Johnson of, of Die right. Hard 2, Die Harder. Yeah, he, I, he did look super familiar and I just didn't. Mm-hmm. I was typing, so I couldn't go. I, I, whenever I watch a movie with Jess, yeah. I, I always have to like. Be like, well, I'll just learn this later because I feel bad <laughs> pausing it all the time. I mean, uh, it, so if it's a kill streak movie, you can always rely on me to shout the trivia at you at some point in the next <laughs> week. Riddle me this, Eric. Did you know this? Do you recognize this man? Um, then we're in Rockbridge, California, September 12, 1978. Uh, Arnie's friend Dennis comes to pick him up. Uh, his mom yells at Dennis for blasting his loud music. Arnie's a total dweeb, mm. like classic dweeb. It's nerd, really big, like really playing it up in this one scene. You know? Yeah, yeah. We've got those thick glasses that are super hip mm. now. Not super hip now, but like we're hip at least when I thought things were hip. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't. Now I don't even know what the fuck's happening. I think I said this about a character before, but I was thinking that Arnie here in this movie, he's like the kind of dude who seems like a like a a nerd loser in 1983, but that guy like is getting laid all over. Oh yeah, these because days. he's like skinny and <laughs> yeah. tall. Yeah. Like yeah, that guy's like getting fucking railed by women at zebulon every night yeah yeah it's i was thinking a lot about this Mm -hmm. watching this movie Um, and there was something else recently that's like wow this whole dynamic of like nerds and jocks and people getting picked on i don't think this exists anymore no well we were watching i said something like that when we were watching ginger snaps where it's like that's what it was it was ginger snaps yeah yeah Yeah, yeah, it's like all those jock dudes would be like completely unwelcome in like a modern day (laughs) Like, uh, environment. Uh, also, that time jump, this just, it hit me while I was watching and it was devastating. So, mm. from the opening scene in the old timey 1950s to the jump ahead in this movie to 1978 is 21 years. If you double that, you get today. So, it's 42 years since 1978. Yeah. Oh my god. That's yeah, that sometimes that like when I uh, kid A the radio yeah, album Yeah, it's 20 years old. Turned now. 20 yeah. years old. Oh god. Ah. Time is the scariest thing. <laughs> it's moving so fast. It comes for us all. Anyways, he's carrying a big bag of trash out and it rips and fucking lettuce goes everywhere. Fucking loser. <laughs> um Arnie explains that his mom is in a bad mood because he's taking a shop class and is very embarrassed by it. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I don't know, is this some sort of class dynamic I don't get? 
I guess so. Like the Ar- Arnie's parents are really made to be like very controlling, especially as his mom mm-hmm. is very controlling. Um, he tells a story, uh, kind of a funny. They're playing Scrabble, and he tried to play the word fellatio, and his mom got fucking pissed off. <laughs> Which, like, yeah, I don't know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, I feel like this whole the whole relationship between Arnie and his parents just never really comes together. I think in the way that anybody wants it to. Yeah. Dennis, like Arnie, I was thinking, now that you're gonna be, we're gonna be seniors. It's time to get you laid. Arnie's like, you need girls to get laid. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, he Dennis suggests a girl. He's like, I don't, I don't like her. She has a mustache. He's like, what? You afraid of getting some hair in your mouth? <laughs> Arnie's like, like the blow. The end of the scene is like, guess I'm just gonna go beat off instead, or something like that. I'll stick to beating off. Yeah. Um. It's it's pretty cringy. Um. But don't worry, it gets worse. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. Uh, we meet a couple. Oh yeah, well Dennis meets like his other jock friends. He Dennis is on the football team. And there's always that, like, he's he, like a desirable to women, and Arnie's not. Oh, got some dog barking. Oh, that's Definitely. Flynn. That's Flynn. He sees somebody walking outside. Oh, Just ignore him, everyone. It's it's only gonna <laughs> go away if we don't acknowledge it. Uh, Roseanne Kelly Preston walks up to Dennis. She's a total fucking babe in this movie. I, like it doesn't really make sense that they he's obsessed with the other with Lee when Roseanne's there. Well, I don't know. You, you I know, mean, it's just not his type. Yeah, he's, he's not interested. He's in got a type. Yeah. Um, Arnie smells her hair like a real loser. <laughs> and then like one of the other friends, like, oh, she see the new girl. She she looks smart, but she has the body of a slut. Yeah, and <laughs> this was the point at which Kendall was like, "I'm not sure if I can watch this movie," and I was like, "Yeah," I was like, "Just give it a chance." I think that we're supposed to think that they're dirtbags, kind of, and eh. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they don't make a real judgment on them either way. It's very of the time. Um, so the new girls being shown around that, of course, is Lee. Um. Arnie, I think Arnie's friend. I didn't get his name, but he's like, I want to have deep, mean sex with her. I thought he said deep, meaningful sex. Oh, meaningful! I thought he said mean, which meaningful makes so much more sense. Yeah, and I didn't rewind it. Yeah, I thought that one was actually kind of funny. I believe the character's name is Bemis. That's a great name. Yeah, it's the name of a, a toilet, like a like a toilet company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So then uh, Arnie's getting bullied in shop class. This big-ass bully named Buddy who has to be fucking 35 years old. <laughs> and, like, jacked to the gills. Yeah. He's so old looking. I, I said I'm very grateful that I didn't have to go to high school with a 30-year-old bully with a switchblade and huge <laughs> guns. <laughs> it's like, he's, like, painted into his T-shirt and jeans. Yeah. Has a switchblade because, of course, he does. Um, he stabs Arnie's lunch, which is like mostly white foam. It's all yo. Well, his mom was like, "Be careful! Like, try to put it somewhere cold." I packed yogurt in there. That's what she says. Goes everywhere, <laughs> and it's just like, wait, do you mean that the whole lunch is yogurt? Because that's how just much yogurt. yogurt comes out of that bag. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a whole like quart of Greek yogurt spills out. Yeah, John Stamos was busy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, Stu Charno's there. He's one of the bullies. 
um, probably miscast as a boy. <laughs> yeah, it's Dennis weird. Com- the two of, two of the four bullies could also just be nerds in another movie. Yeah, they really could be. Yeah, I would say three. I would yeah. say all yeah, of right. them. It's, there's there's the bigger guy. There's the a Ghostbusters guy with a, uh-huh. with a big afro. And then Stu Charno. Right. And the only outlier there is fucking Buddy, who looks like John Travolta's stunt double. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like if John Travolta had 15% more testosterone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so Dennis comes to the rescue, sort of. He, he, he gets... Um, he challenges... A buddy challenges Dennis to a fight. There's They get knocked over. Arnie falls over him breaks his glasses or buddy steps on his glasses mm-hmm. but dennis gets a good punch in then uh the, the bigger guy knocks him down then the teacher comes in and he like really is rough with buddy you know, like they, yeah they, he would be fired in an instant well, grabs him, <laughs> shakes him i don't think they had time to show us the cycle of abuse and buddy's actual dad beating him up so this is just like sure this is like the shorthand for that uh, which you know in the novel, uh, which I don't remember, like I'm sure there is a scene where where his dad's a drunk. Oh, and absolutely, him or something. This is like in every Stephen yeah, King. Yeah, this is King 101, like the troubled bully uh, mm-hmm. who's a little more psychotic than anybody's actual high school bully ever was. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Who like poisons dogs and stuff. <laughs> right. Um. So then he gets in. Buddy gets in trouble because if he has his switchblade and he goes fucking ham on everybody. Yeah. Um, I thought he was going to stab the teacher for a second. I, was like, I thought that, so too. That would have been yeah. cool. I would have been into that. So it cuts to Arnie in the car with Dennis. Arnie's got tape on his glasses and one of his lenses is missing, which is a bummer as a bespeckled man. I wouldn't be happy about that. Um, so they drive by the shitty old house and then Arnie notices Christine, right there, broken down in the front yard. Well, it's not really. I guess it's sort of broken down. It's for sale. It's just a piece of like shit. A, yeah, it looks like a real piece of shit. Uh, and Arnie makes Dennis like pull over to go see it. And he's just drawn to it. <clears throat> he wants to fix it up. And we meet the the current owner, who is you had mentioned Roberts Blossom is his name. Yes. So Roberts Blossom, who. Upon closer inspection, it turns out, has a much longer resume than I would have guessed. But took me a second to place him until I was like, he is the scary old guy from Home Alone. Yeah, he is. Was a, yeah. A very, he has a very particular manner of speaking. Uh, he's great. I mean, I love him in this role. I love him in Home Alone. And then it turns out he's in fucking everything. He's in, like, mm-hmm. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He's in Escape from Alcatraz. Uh, he's in Doc Hollywood. He plays the judge. I remember that. Everybody that plays that movie. Uh, I, I like Doc Hollywood. Yeah, he, yeah. he is real interesting looking. He's yeah. super skinny. In this movie, he's wearing like a back brace, which is a great touch. It's so weird because I've never seen anyone wear a back brace like that. So I was like, is this a girdle? Like, I honestly couldn't figure out what the fuck it was at first. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, he's got creepy good energy. casting with like the... Um, with the uh, characters, like the the secondary characters, mm-hmm. like Darnell, also like yeah, there's some great like grizzled faces in this movie for sure. Um, so he's he he gives Arnie the keys. Arnie starts her up. Her name's Christine. And he tells the story 
um, about like how it was his brother's and he was obsessed with it. He's like, had the smell of a brand new car, best smell in the world, other than pussy. <laughs> except for which is like a ru- except for pussy, maybe. <laughs> what would say? What are you gonna say? On here. Oh, this is like not the other. Like, this happens again where somebody's like, it's the best thing in the world. Other than pussy, <laughs> like, this movie is gross and horny, and it—I I didn't remember any of the horniness, but I got a very hearty chuckle, just like imagining a like th- th- this line coming out of this dude's mouth in Home Alone, <laughs> like he's talking to—he's talking to Macaulay Culkin. He's like, "I love a Christmas tree, best smell in the world, except for pussy, maybe." <laughs> <laughs> Macaulay's like, all right, I'll check it out. <laughs> um, so he explains that his brother died six weeks ago selling the car for $250. We looked up. Do you have any guesses as to what $250 in 1983 money is today? No, but I will say that I will take a guess because I was like, that doesn't seem that cheap. I was like... Yeah. I was like, that seems like too much for this car. Because I know that I bought, my first high school car was a 1983 Cadillac that was purchased in 1999 for $1,000, right? Mm -hmm. And this seems comparable. Like, I think 250 bucks, that feels like five, I'm going to say three grand. Is it three grand? No, it actually is closer to a thousand dollars. Okay, but for I would say for the condition that this car is in, oh yeah, it's way too much. Better. The car that I bought was in way better condition. Like I just started driving yeah. it. This car is not it's, just because it can drive doesn't mean anyone should be driving it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Arnie buys it. His parents are fucking pissed. I made a note here. Everybody was so goddamn skinny in the eighties. <laughs> like, body types have just changed, man. It's cr- it's crazy. Um, we uh we get a sense that his parents are like really overbearing. Uh, she's even mad at Dennis for not talking him out of it, which he's yeah. like, I did. He's like, well, you didn't try hard enough. Yeah, and I'll, I'm like, he's not your kid. Back the fuck off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She, the, the mom is really a dick to Dennis. Right. Um, and she insists that. He cannot keep the car at the house. So he drives it to Darnell's do-it-yourself garage. Um, Darnell, we meet him. He is a real piece of work. I love Darnell. He's like, to to Dennis, he's like, if you sold him that piece of shit, you ought to be fucking ashamed of yourself. (laughs) I knew a guy who had a car like that once. Son of a bitch killed himself. He was so mean, you could have poured boiling water down his throat and he'd piss ice cubes. Yeah, this is the the late great Robert Prosky who has never looked shittier than he does in this yeah, movie. He looks like <laughs> shit. Just a greasy, gross, messy shit. Like he doesn't look like shit. He looks like greasy shit. Uh, and he lived for like another twenty years after this movie. Holy shit. Same with fucking Robert's Blossom, man. He's like he looks like he's eighty in this movie. Yeah, and he lived into the into the mid aughts. Yeah, holy shit. Okay, I wonder. So he was born in 1930, uh, Robert Prosky. Mm-hmm. So in this, he's only 53 years old. Yeah, he just looks bad. <laughs> holy shit. Yeah. And like, hold on, I'm curious with Robert's Blossom too. Yeah. He is. Uh, so he was uh, born in 24. So he was 60, 61. 
Yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, People just age differently. Yeah. But Prosky. It's because they're so skinny. Prosky fucking rules. That guy's the greatest. He's he plays. He's in The Natural. He plays The Judge. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, he plays uh, Robin Williams' boss. Mm-hmm. You know, he goes out to dinner with at the end. He's in. He plays the kind of Grandpa Monster character in the in Gremlins Two. Um, yes, yes, yeah. that's probably where I know him yeah. most from. He rules. Uh, uh, rest in peace. Both of those very old men. So um, I like that he just doesn't take any shit from these kids <laughs> at all. He's like so so mean to them. Yeah. Um, oh, you know what? I, this I forgot. Be, this kind of dovetails with that. I forgot to mention in the last scene with uh, LeBay, Robert's Blossom. He calls Dennis shitter at the end of the scene. Oh yeah, yeah. And then this becomes a recurring thing. And in my head, I'm like, this reeks of Stephen King. Oh, that seems like the most King thing. Yeah. He, King always has like these weird phrases that you know nobody's ever yeah. said. Yeah, little made up like like nicknames and things that people call each other. Like, he's a shitter. And it's like, yeah. dude, nobody says that. He, you know, one, of them, one of them that he always seems to cram into his books is instead of, instead of fucking, like this fucking piece of shit, he'll say cunting. <laughs> Like he like this yeah. cunting piece of shit. It's like, yeah. dude, nobody has ever said that. And if they did, there's a reason why they stopped. Yeah. Uh. Um. So, I love he tells them like, oh, you know, you can work, you can leave your car here, you can work on it here, but you can't smoke. If you want to smoke, go outside. Then it cuts to like a full <laughs> card table full of guys smoking. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just being a dick. Uh. So Dennis drives Arnie home, and he's like, "Why that car, man?" Arnie's like, I don't know. Maybe it's because for the first time in my life, I found something uglier than me and I can fix her up. And uh, Dennis, like, you're not ugly, Arnie. He's like, I know what I am. Queer, maybe, but not ugly. Ah, <laughs> oh, good one. <laughs> 1983, folks. Good one, guys. <laughs> His parents are pissed that they're there late, even though they sent him off to yeah. park the car somewhere else. What do you want? You can't win with these people. October 9th now. Arnie's rooting around at Darnell's for parts. Darnell's like admiring his work. Um, He's like, you got good hands, but bad taste in cars. He tells him he can't polish a turd. He's chewing tobacco. It's great. Um, Darnell tells him, basically gives him a deal that he can sit here and he can raid all of the junk piles for parts and work on the car. If he helps around the shop. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Arnie kind of, he gets his job here at Darnell's. Uh, and then there's a great shot of Arnie just gets in the seat and just listens to music. It's just vibing. The soundtrack in this movie is pretty great. Yeah, I liked it a lot. And I especially when you combine like the good period soundtrack with a lot of it has because it has both sort of late 70s, early 80s stuff and that kind of 50s vibe of the car. Yeah. Right. You pair that with the original Carpenter score and it's a real winner. Like that is it's solid all the way through. Yeah, absolutely. I was even considering, like, oh, I should find this on vinyl. Yeah. It uh, in the library, Dennis and his boys are ogling Lee. Um, it's like, I think one of them was like, don't tip the table, man. Because like, <laughs> he has a, as if he has a boner. Yeah, he did. Uh, he works up the nerve to talk to her. Poor Roseanne thinks he's coming over to talk to her. 
and she looks super disappointed as he just walks by. And this might be the last time we see Roseanne. I think Maybe she it, appears once more. I think it is. I think she. We see her at the football game as part of the larger crew of cheerleaders. But yeah, this is the last like Roseanne scene. That's weird, man. It just it seems so. She had to. Unfinished. She had to have been cut out somehow, right? Yeah, there had to be something. We should. We'll we'll figure it out at some point. Okay. Um, so he sits down, asks to go dancing with him. She can't cause she has a date. Uh, then the library shushes him out of there. Uh, I wrote poor, beautiful Roseanne looks sad. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> You're very sensitive. As I'm typing that and sitting next to my wife. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, so Dennis goes over to Arnie's and Arnie's glasses are gone now. And his parents are yelling at him. He's going to Darnell's. He's peel, he leaves. Arnie, Arnie's mom asks Dennis what's going on. He's like, I don't know. I hardly see him anymore. They were supposed to go to a movie seen... together, right? He's like, That's right. Yeah, they have plans. And Arnie's like, ah, I got I to gotta work. Mm-hmm. I, I got something I have to do. And uh, ever since he bought that car, he's been obsessed with it. Um, And then she, the mom's like, you know, when we went to signed the registration papers they told him that the guy who owned the car last died of carbon monoxide poisoning in it um so dennis goes to the old man's house robert's blossoms house and confronts him about it and he tells him that his brother ran a rubber hose from the exhaust pipe to to kill himself in there and arnie's got the same look in his eye his brother had his brother got obsessed with christine his own daughter choked to death in the car uh, it's like five-year-old daughter or mm-hmm. something like that. He didn't even really care. His wife died in the car. And then, um, so the, this, the old man made him get rid of it and it just came back. The car just came back to him. Uh, Dennis breaks into Darnell's and he checks out Christine. And the, th- there is something that they keep making a point of the mileage on it. Like, it's counting down? Yeah, it doesn't make... I mean, I, I don't have an explanation for it. Like, I've, uh, I noticed I, I, it, I too. There's something I missed, but I just, like... Because they, they make a point of it, but I just... No, I mean, you're, I you're right, and I think it... To me, it feels like it's just one of these number of things that just kind of don't get resolved for some reason, mm-hmm. you know? Um. So the doors are locked, then the radio comes on. It's a song, you keep on knocking, but you can't come in, which plays a few times. <laughs> He runs out of there. The radio shuts off on itself. Was Bumblebee the... based on this movie? Yes, it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> John Cena based his uh, Bumblebee voice on Christine. Well, his, like, his physicality. Yeah, yeah. He was doing the mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so then it's a football game. Buddy and his gang of bullies. I, Christine. They're like in the, audi- they're in the crowd. And they see Christine. They know it's Arnie's. Is that counting him? Cuntingham, yeah. yeah, that's what they call him. Cuntingham, <laughs> solid burn. Uh, and then Dennis, he's 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 on the team. He goes out for a pass, and then he catches Arnie making out with Lee. Mm. So the one that Lee had a date with apparently was Arnie, and he gets distracted and he gets sacked hard and taken off the field in a stretcher. Okay, so let me ask you this: um, Do you like? Mm-hmm. Were you thrown by the fact that there was no, like, there isn't anything 
there are no scenes or shots of Arnie or Lee interacting with each other at all before this, right? Yeah. So I kind of enjoyed I kind of enjoyed the reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wish there was a little. I mean, maybe it would have just tipped their hand too much. Mm-hmm. I wish there was a like one more thing. Just like we see them meet or something. I don't know, you know. Or, or we hear Arnie be like, "Nah, I can't come out tonight." I mean, right, something more explicit. Doing. Yeah. Yeah, or like, what's his face? Dennis calls her. She's mm-hmm. like, "No, I told you, I have a date." Right. And then we see it. I think it would have made yeah more impactful. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but it didn't totally bother me. Okay. So then it's November 5th. Arnie visits Dennis in the hospital. His neck is in a brace. His legs broken. His ribs are all taped up. <laughs> Arnie brings him 5,000 dirty limericks to read. <laughs> um, and uh, it's sad. He says he's never going to be able to play football again. And one centimeter over would have paralyzed him from the waist down. Arnie and, and Lee are now together now. Now. Mm. And now also... Um, and Arnie says his mom still won't let him keep the car in the yard. So yeah, this scene, it's like the whole storyline of Dennis getting hurt doesn't seem necessary. Right. Cause it's not direct other than him being direct, uh, distracted while he gets sacked by Arnie. It feels like it should have been Christine related. In yes, some way. You know absolutely. I, mean? I, I agree. And also it's just like, I feel like this scene only exists to in a pretty clunky way. To just like really make Arnie seem like an asshole now. Yes. Right. Because yes. he's he's starting to big time him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody wants to get big timed. Nobody wants to get big timed. So then he's at the drive in with Lee. Uh Arnie is. He's getting a second base in her shirt. But then she says she can't do it. Runs out into the rain. Uh and he gets her at the concession stand. She just admits that she's creeped out by that mm-hmm. car. Now I'll say something that I appreciated about this is like as this was starting to transpire, I was like, Christ, is this just gonna be like the eight millionth iteration of guy tries to push it too far, that kind of creepy, just like the, you know, the nonviolent pressure kind of to to have sex. But sure, yeah. I like that it's actually like, no, she's like rubbing his dick through his pants and then it's just like, I can't do this, this car is too creepy. Yeah, it's a car. Yeah. yeah. Like I like that they didn't like turn it into that that normal kind of old conflict that gets it just it's frustrating to me. So I'm glad struggle they, buggy. I, right, I'm glad they didn't do that. Um, didn't they call call cars struggle buggies for that very reason? I've never heard that term before. It's in my like life. you take a girl on a date and it's like it, your car's the struggle buggy. I'm pretty sure that's that's a thing. That's horrible. Uh, <laughs> anyway, never, never heard it before. <laughs> uh. So she's creeped out by the car. He gets her back in. He's like, I thought girls are supposed to be jealous of other girls, not cars. Well, you're not supposed and to like, treat your car like it's your fucking girlfriend, you creep. Yeah. <laughs> she like slaps the seat and he gets pissed off at her. Mm-hmm. He's like, nobody seems to like my car these days. Uh, so he turns the windshield wipers on and one of them gets stuck. So he gets out to fix it. And just then she takes a bite of her burger and starts to choke. And white light starts to flood the interior. The radio comes on. The door's locked. Arnie can't get in. Uh, she's choking. She finally struggles enough, but gets the door unlocked. And some other dude pulls her out and gives her the Heimlich. Mm-hmm. And Arnie's just like, su- instead of being grateful, he's super jealous. Um, 
And he also does a he really dropped... half-assed job of trying to help her out. Yes, yeah, yeah. Like, he doesn't do enough and then gets pissed off when the other guy comes to help her. Mm-hmm. Um, so he drops her off at home. She refuses to get back in that car. And then call, calls him out on getting mad about a, another guy helping her. Um, and he's like, you know what I think? I think you're just sexually frustrated. He, he says that to her. Yeah. <laughs> and then she pushes him and like, that's the end of that. It's <laughs> fucking dickhead. I mean, great. Well, he's supposed to be he's supposed to be a dick. So not like I'm saying like, oh, no, be nice this whole time. Arnie. <laughs> But it's a fucking dick. Yeah. Well, okay, so, I mean, I was debating, like, waiting until later in the movie to get into this, but I think now makes just as much sense. This journey for him, it just doesn't get paid off by the script, you know? It's like, Mm -hmm. it just kind of becomes a jerk. And it's like, to me, that almost, it it doesn't just directly intertwine with, like, the car is jealous, the car is murderous it's like okay but then why is he being a prick to people yeah right outside of like he becomes very aggressive he becomes sort of hyper masculine and i i can get where they would want to go with that and i just don't feel like the work gets done you know they don't yeah attach it all i I think we need one more scene in between this scene and his beginning, the beginning of his transformation, yeah, <clears throat> where you see him be a little bit, a little bit more, you know, bad, mm-hmm. and then I think we need another scene after this, before the end, where you see him be truly bad, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, because otherwise he sort of just becomes like a zombie in a way for the car. Yeah. Well, and, and then at the end, no, go ahead, finish what you're gonna say. Oh, I was going to say, when it's revealed he's in the car at the very end, it's like you kind of don't really feel like he's there on his own volition. Right. Well, and so the thing is, like, I read, like, literally during the break, I read the synopsis of the book just to, like, see what how it was different. And I will say that the book, I don't know if it works or not, because I've never read it, but at least there is an explanation, sort of, for why, or a justification, if you will, for why he's undergoing this transformation in particular, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I won't get into the, the real details of it if anybody wants to read the book, but I will just say that it's like, it is tied to the mythology of the car and the history of the car. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that, you know, we don't need a full explanation, right? It's supernatural. It's never going to make total sense. But to just feel like there was some kind of, process that you could follow that made some kind of like it, you don't need to know why things are evil but at least like set the terms like let me know what's happening and and where this journey is going to take him right right whereas this is just kind of like he's just sort of arbitrarily an asshole now and right and it just doesn't really it doesn't flow for me no yeah no i i, I agree with you um and so uh, he gets back in his car and it won't start. And he basically has to beg the car. He's like, come on, baby, please. Everything's the same. <laughs> it turns on. And then, like, I wonder why I love you like I, like I do. Comes on the radio. Um, he brings the car back to Darnell's. He doesn't notice that the bullies rush in behind him. 
Then after he leaves, the four bullies grab sledgehammers. Buddy gets on top of the car and straight up Michael Jackson's black or white car. (laughs) (laughs) Stands on top, puts a fucking sledgehammer right through the windshield, and they totally destroy it. Uh, the next morning, Arnie and Lee are there to get his wallet. I thought it was really. Christine. I was just gonna say, I thought this was a cool scene, and uh, mm-hmm. them trashing the car. It's shot great. It looks like, especially like the shot of him standing on top of the car right before he he crushes it. It's mm-hmm. just like it's lit so great, and it just looks really cool. And I really enjoyed this. And I will say that we are entering now the phase of this film. That I that I was the most entertained by, like starting yes, here so. for like the next for most of the movie up until the uh, climax, I was like on board. Uh, yep, and I had been pretty bored up to this point for quite some time. Um, in this scene, I just want to reiterate: if you're a car, this scene is fucking terrifying. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Gore, like, horrific, gory violence. Like, yeah, I mean, if you're a car, this is basically like the like a revenge movie from this point forward. Yeah, like you see what they do to Christine, it's horrific. Absolutely. I don't know. I'm just trying to say, come at this movie from a car's point of view. Rewatch it, and then we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, of course, he's completely fucking devastated by this car being destroyed. And he, he tries to, she tries to comfort him. He snaps at her and pushes her away. This is just what you want. Get away from me. Get away from her. At dinner, he blames his parents for not letting him park the car there. He's like, one of them took a shit on my dashboard, ma. Mm. <laughs> that was pretty it's, it's a good touch. It comes up again later, and I'm like, I think it's funny that they keep mentioning somebody's shit on his dashboard. Yeah, me too. Because then you have to picture the good, the guy doing it. The thing <laughs> that, yeah, <laughs> the thing that blows my mind about stuff like that is just like there was a group of dudes there together, and it's like yeah. if somebody shit on the dashboard, does that mean that the other three of them just sat and watched sat this and guy watched? take a shit? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, did they watch? Either way is funny. If they sat and watched him take a shit, or if he's like, "All right, all right, I got a plan. You guys, yeah, gotta go. you guys gotta leave." <laughs> what? What do you like, mean? Sil- in the silent Darnell's yeah. garage, just silently just take like, oh, the, only the sounds of his plops, <laughs> <laughs> concentrating really hard. And so was he also like shitting through the windshield onto the dashboard like the broken windshield that's the only way that makes in the sense. car yeah yeah you couldn't like position his no ass you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna make a mess of yourself if you're trying to get onto the dashboard from inside the car yeah it, unless he did it somewhere else and then transported it himself like he could have just done it onto like a paper bag and then thrown it on the dashboard you know? yeah i do know somebody who was at like a party uh-huh. somebody they oh, like and they, they shat in the guy's sock drawer oh my god <laughs> oh god it's awful killstreak fans write in if you i want to meet someone i want to talk to someone who's actually taken an upper decker uh, yeah, is that something that's just like a myth, or does that actually yeah. happen? Or if you've shit in someone's sock drawer or on their dashboard, um, 
feel free to make it an anonymous note if you want. Or let us leave us a voicemail. Yeah, leave us a voicemail. You want us to shout you out on the show? Leave us a voicemail while you're leaving an upper decker. Oh, we'd also take. Well, yeah, we well uh, if we had merch to give away, we'd give you some for that. <laughs> um, so they offer to buy him a new car. He's like, "That's what everybody wants, isn't it?" Fuck you! I'm fixing up Christine. And his dad's like, "Hey, you can't talk to your mother," and he like that. And he like grabs his dad by the throat and calls him a motherfucker surprised um, he didn't call him a shitter <laughs> yeah no, no shitters um so he he goes to repair the car back at darnell's and like the i don't know what the fucking engine the manifold i don't know what it's called is all crumpled he looks mm-hmm. away and it's reformed and we get a little okay. sound just like a little metal popping sound kind of yeah he's like he stands back and he's like, okay, show me. And the lights come on, this cool music starts playing, and it repairs itself. And I fucking love the way this looks. It's a dope special effect. It's really great. Yeah. Do you know how they did it? No. So they made a model of the car out of rubber, essentially. Oh. Right? So it's supposed to look exactly like a real Plymouth Fury, but it, they took out... And they use, I think they use, like, the chassis and other parts of it. So it's basically just the parts that are being repaired are all rubber. And they've removed the innards and replaced them with pistons, okay? And so then they shot it where the pistons pull the car in and it crumples itself. And then they just run the footage backwards to make it look like it's repairing itself. And it works really well. It looks looks great. Yes. Like, they would have done that in CG now, and it would not look as good. Um, so, this is so weird that I had to check to make sure I didn't miss, like, didn't miss something. I, I don't know his name, but, like, the bigger bully, he gets, like, gets let out of a Mack truck under an overpass. Oh, Moochie. Moochie, that's right, his name's Moochie, Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't, there's no justification. There's no story. It's super weird. Yeah. I guess he was hitchhiking. Um, so he's under this overpass. He hears music playing. He looks over and Christine's there. The engine starts. It drives out on the road. He's like, is that you, Cunningham? You ain't mad, are you? The lights come on and it races at him. Jumps over the side of the barrier. He runs. And basically, it's like Halloween music, like the movie Halloween mm-hmm. music is playing. It's very similar score. Even the like when yeah. the lights come on is like very similar to like the synth sting. Well, there is a Halloween. there's a particular sting he uses when the lights come on. I think every time. Um, oh, in every movie? No, I mean in this movie. But like in this movie, yeah, yeah. What you're that, describing that comes back later on. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's very much like Hall. It might mm-hmm. be the same noise from Halloween. I'm sure he's using the same synth. Uh, so it chases him around, and around this part, I was like, "Well, couldn't you just like go inside? Yeah, I would just go, inside go somewhere someplace. where a car can't drive. Can't can't go. Yeah. Well, he thinks he's doing that. It chases him through like this uh, facility, and he high he gets cornered in a, lo- a loading bay. Uh, <laughs> he pulls a knife on the car. <laughs> he's like, "You're a dead man now," and he the car starts driving forward, but it's too big to fit in, and it just like rips its door its doors off. 
and crushes him against the wall, killing him. Body counts up to two. Yeah, so this scene is probably the worst offender of this. Um, but it's it, we talk about, like, go somewhere where the car can't go, mm-hmm. which reminded me of... I mean, I, I can't even say it's a favorite joke because I have so many favorite Simpsons jokes. Uh, but do you remember Night Boat? Have you ever heard? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Night Rider, but with a boat. <laughs> and it's like the boat's chasing them, and it's like, quick, they're going on land. And there's like, look, there's a canal. <laughs> <laughs> and every week, and then they, they, the family complains. They're like, every week it's a canal or an inlet or a fjord, you know? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's how, that's what it is. Like a killer car is like, there's always a canal, right? It's like, yeah, what it's if, always a road. Haven't you considered the second story of anything, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so then we get a quick scene in the hospital where Arnie cracks a beer for tennis, which doesn't seem like that. He would cracks be like four beers. What is that he about? It's like a whole six pack. Yeah, and a giant stein. But then he only puts a little bit of one beer in the stein. But he's yeah. opened like four beers. I don't. Oh, under- does he open all of them? I think <laughs> so. so. I don't know. He lines them all up. It's very confusing. Uh, he tells him about Moochie, and. Um, He's a real dick now, and we know he's yeah. a dick because he's wearing a black button-down with a black leather vest. Well, right. So now he looks like a greaser, right? And yeah, yeah. again, like this is something that if they were following the plotline of the book would make a little bit more sense. But because they don't use any of the mythology behind Arnie's transformation, it's just like, okay, I guess he's a greaser now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get Harry Dean fucking Stanton. I that was a super a big surprise for me. I didn't see his name in the credits, and I didn't see his name on IMDb. Always love to see that guy. He's the best. He was the best. He's dead. <laughs> um, he's a detective. He's coming to check out Arnie's car. Um, he's the there's a particular shade of red that they're finding at this crime scene. Mm-hmm. He's like, I really like the shade of red. I don't think they made it. They I didn't think they made it anymore. Did they make it, Arnie? Um, so basically Lee gave him all the details called, called the detective, gave him the details. Um, and then it comes back up. It's like, I heard one of the perpetrators defecated on the dashboard (laughs) and Arnie's like, yeah, well shit wipes off, which I thought it's a pretty good line. It was. Yeah. And he's like, I heard Moochie got wiped off. Um, it's a good scene. I like, I like the two of them talking. Harry Dean is always great. Um, so he calls Lee up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I kind of forgot about this scene. He calls Lee up and tells her they needs to see her and says he loves her. Um, he's like, I think we deserve one more try, don't you? And he's being really weird and aggressive, and she says no. He's like, well, fuck you, bitch. Yeah. Um, Can't even make it through one phone rage. call without yeah flying off the handle. Um, I'm sure he punched a hole in some drywall. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. And then it's December 16th. The bullies are in a liquor store. They get into their car. Buddy speeds off with uh, the guy from Ghostbusters. Beast of Burden on the radio. That's That can't be a, a cheap record. A needle drop. No. Um, and then high beams fill the car from behind. And Rich, the guy from Ghostbusters, 
turns and flips him off. And Buddy goes to back up into the car uh, to fuck with it. But the car, of course, it's Christine. I don't know why I'm being recording. <laughs> it's, it's not a. It's, it's not some car. car. <laughs> it's revealed that it's Christine. <laughs> the car, like, backs up with him, like, in perfectly so he can't get to him. Then a chase begins. They stop at the, the garage where Stu Charno's character works. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buddy gets out. Christine screeches in, rams Buddy's car, and like the car gets stuck to it. Um, which happens a couple times. Yeah, this like, is the first of two times that we have this exact sequence. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I wrote the gore is almost completely car based. <laughs> but um, how, think of how disgusting this would be if it was yeah. people. Where it's like, you rammed someone so hard you got stuck on them? Stuck to him? Yeah, he's like, you're like ah, get off my arm. Um, so Christine rams the car again. Gas is leaking. I'm pretty sure Rich just gets squished. It, it happens fast. Uh, body count of three. The gas ignites. Stu Charno's character is roasted. Body count four. Yeah. The gas station's all on fire. A flaming Christine drives after Buddy. As the gas station blows up, full on explosion, huge. And I, I loved this this like slow motion chase. Yeah, because Christine's on fire, mm-hmm. like driving at Buddy, who's trying to run away, like Karma Police music video. Mm-hmm. And then finally runs him over, leaving a flaming body. Yes, uh, body counts up to five. This is the part of the movie where I was like, this is what I love about John Carpenter. It's like this, exactly. the style of that shot of that scene yep. of him chasing buddy of the car, chasing buddy down the road. I was like, this is the only part of this movie that like hit that peak for me. Yes. Uh, 100% agree with you. Yeah. That was, this was like the scene. I'm like, yeah, here we go, Johnny. Right. Uh, so then Darnell is working in the garage late one night. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the door opens and a burned-to-shit Christine just drives in. <laughs> like, Darnell's wearing a suit for some reason. I don't know why. It looks weird. Yeah. Um, he, he's like, you can't really clean up well. Um, he grabs a shotgun. He's like, okay, Jack, come on out. The ride's over. If I'm going to have to come in and get you, I'm going to get you. <laughs> right, okay, yeah. And he gets in. He burns his hand on the car door handle first, but he eventually gets in. He opens the door. It's empty. He sits down. The radio comes on. The door shuts and locks. And then the seat starts moving forward slowly until he's crushed against the steering wheel, which is pretty gruesome. Body counts up to six. It's not. It doesn't look gruesome. Right. <clears throat> to think about but it. Is... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next morning, Harry Dean is at Darnell's. His name is like, what's his name? His name is Ronald funny. Junkins. <laughs> yeah, Ronald Detective. No, Detective Rudolph. Junkins. Rudy Junkins. That's right. Oh, it's even better. <laughs> Junkins is name. such a great surname. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just don't see it all that much anymore. Uh, no, the Junkins are dying out. Um, so Darnell's dead in Christine. And the car's in perfect condition again. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we got Buddy's dead, Don's dead, and Rich is dead. 
uh, I guess Don was one of the guys who got killed. Don is uh, Stu Charno. Don Stu Charno. Yeah. Uh, and he tells Arnie, he's like, I guess no one's going to be trashing your car anymore. So then Lee reaches out to Dennis. She wants to come over to talk about, to talk to him about Christine. She's afraid. And uh, they come up with a plan to destroy the car to save Arnie. <clears throat> uh, Arnie pulls up to Dennis's house and Christine. And uh, Dennis like sees him. He calls Christine a rust bucket, just kind of jokingly. And Arnie tells him to watch what he says about his car. <laughs> uh, they get he gets in the car with him, and Arnie's drinking and driving. Yeah, he's and really bad now. He's real bad. He's speeding. He's drinking and driving. He says, a toast. Death to the shitters of the world. 1979. And I, 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 I guess I like it, but I don't really understand it. <laughs> <You know>? It's <laughs> the shitters now or the shitters. I know he was called a shitter before. I think the guy literally shit in his car. Right. <laughs> I mean, the thing with shitter is it like, I think Prosky calls Dennis a shitter maybe or uh, there's another shitter later. Somebody yells, you shitter. And it's just like, I guess that's the word that Stephen King decided to use for asshole for this movie. Yeah. Right? And then it's like, it, <laughs> it just made it into the script for some reason. Because nobody thought you better. You turd cutter. <laughs> you poopa. <laughs> uh, they drink to friendship. Arnie's obviously has changed. His transformation is almost complete. And he shows he takes a, the steering his hand off the wheel to show him the car can kind of like drive itself. Um, and Dennis is trying to get through to Artie, but he can't. It's a, I, I wrote down it's a pretty good scene, and he's like because Dennis is trying to relate to or like trying to um, reason with Artie, mm-hmm. and he just can't get through. And Arnie lays off the lays on the gas, and starts driving on the wrong side of the road. Oh yeah, there, this this there it goes. Oh man, there's nothing finer than being behind the wheel of your own car, except maybe pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Got a, a repeat of that old chestnut. All right. Uh, so then it cuts away kind of abruptly. Then it's at back at school, and Dennis screeches, screeches. Dennis screeches really loudly for about two minutes uninterrupted. It's weird. It doesn't really fit. Uh, no, Dennis scratches Darnell's tonight on the hood of Christine. Mm-hmm. Then we're at Darnell's. Dennis and Lee are there. They're setting up a trap. They hotwire a bulldozer and get it into position. Basically, their plan is when Christine drives in there, they're going to close the door behind it, trap it in there, and crush it. Um, And then she, she goes to the office to... Uh, get the open the door i guess i don't know oh yeah to open the big to close that big door the elephant door right um yeah and then christine suddenly christine's lights come on speeds at her she can't get in the office it's locked she gets out of the way um in the car and christine rams right through the uh Wait, what the fuck? I did a bad job of writing. Wait, <laughs> Basically, Christine rams another car, gets stuck to the car. Yeah, this is the second um, time it, the car gets stuck to another car in the process it, of the, trying to run over Lee. Yeah, exactly. And then the hood of the car looks like teeth now. Mm, yeah. Um, Dennis gets in the gets the bulldozer in position and he like traps Christine, not Christine. He traps Lee in the bucket of the uh, 
bulldozer so Christine can't get to her. Right. Which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Christine rams it trying to get to her, but he can't. So it backs, up, backs into the office, destroying it. So then Christine and the bulldozer kind of take their positions at either end yeah. of the garage. Like ready for a game of chicken, yeah. Exactly. That's when it's revealed that Arnie is inside of Christine now. It's not just operating on its own. Mm-hmm. He's there. Uh, and it starts to like heal itself, basically. Um, and then Christine drives into the office to try to get Lee. He's thrown. Arnie is thrown through the windshield, and he has a shard of glass sticking out of his chest. He pulls it out, and then touches Christine's grill, and dies as the headlights go out. Body counts up to seven. Arnie's gone. Dennis starts the bulldozer. Christine's headlights turn back on. The radio comes on. Uh, it backs up to try to like get at Lee, but she moves out of the way. Dennis rams it with a bulldozer, lowers the bucket onto it, crushing it. The mileage rolls back to zero. Yeah, which is like I still don't really get. Yeah, I don't really understand that. Um, it starts to inch toward Lee, still trying to get her. But then the lights go out. And, of course, it's like the classic slasher movie. They start to celebrate and hug. But then Christine starts to reform. So then Dennis guns it, rolls over Christine. And then we cut to the junkyard. Christine has been crushed into a cube. And Harry Dean Stanton's there. He's like, I wouldn't feel so bad. Uh, I wouldn't feel so bad. You two are heroes. And Dennis like, like, eh, real heroes would have saved Arnie. Then we hear some music. We think it's Christine's radio, but it's not. It's a dude with a boombox. Phew, we're safe. <laughs> then we zoom in on Christine, all crushed into a cube. And then the grill starts to twitch. Ba-ba-na-na-na. Bad to the bone <laughs> for the second time. <laughs> and that's the end yeah. of John Carpenter and Stephen King's Christine. The bulldozer running over the car looks dope. I want to say that. I want to shout that out. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a great special. Yeah. It's the best special effect because it's no special effect. They just ran over a fucking car with a bulldozer, and it looks awesome. It would have been cooler. Uh, I was thinking about this bulldozer fight, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool, I guess. It would have been nicer if instead of them with the whole plan of like trapping the car, crushing it with a bulldozer, and then we cut to this like, you know, it being crushed into a cube. It would have been cooler if there was in a junkyard, have the fight with a bulldozer. Chris uh, Lee or somebody runs to the crane, picks it up, pricks Christine up mm-hmm. with the magnet, and then actively we see the yeah. car like trying to drive away, but it can't and gets crushed into a cube. That I, would have been cooler. I think you're right. I think that's a good idea. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of things that you could do to make this work a little bit better. However, I will go back to my initial statement, which is it's not a great pitch, you know? It's like you're starting kind of from the basement if you're trying to make an evil car movie scary. If it's if it's ridiculous, if it's something like Maximum Overdrive, then you can get more of that kind of schlocky entertainment out yeah. of it, you know? Um, but yeah. There's a Stephen King book with another car called 
called From a Buick 8, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed. Have you ever, have you ever read that? I movie? haven't. And they adapted that into, what, a TV series maybe? Or a miniseries? Oh, I don't know. I don't, yeah. I'm not sure if that's been adapted. Mm. Uh, it's really cool. And it's nothing like Christine. Yeah. Which is nice. Um, anyway. We here at Killstreak like to go over a few points at the end of the movie. Uh, first up, you know, this movie now is almost 30, no, almost 40 years old. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, moments that have aged the worst. I think we pointed out a couple. But, uh, Mike, you have, you have one in particular I, that you'd like to highlight? I do have one in particular that I'd like to highlight. Uh, it's part of the suite of uh, horny, misogynistic comments that really pepper the early going of the movie. Um, but the one in particular is very early on when Dennis or Arnie are, are in the car and they're talking about the different girls that Arnie could sleep with. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Dennis refers to one of them who they think of as being particularly loose as a walking sperm bank. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus Christ, that is horrifying for a number yeah. of reasons just at its face value and then everything that it represents and stands for uh you know we here at kill streak we denounce slut shaming we are yes absolutely we are so slut positive so um anyways yeah that's mine uh there's a bunch though this is definitely a movie that uh just i mean by virtue of like writing dialogue for high school boys like has a lot of insensitive stuff yeah i I guess mine is probably along those lines i i figured you would take that Mm. that issue i mean casually calling him a queer yeah there's definitely worse words you could have said but it just doesn't nowadays just doesn't really hey it doesn't even seem like an insult (laughs) like which is funny (laughs) it's Um, just a piece of information he's queer yes yeah exactly exactly uh okay great um so you know the body count starts to rise towards the end of the movie we get up to seven what was your favorite death um i can go first if you want me to or or you take you it. go ahead i went i went on the last one so i think we, you know we've talked about how cool of a scene is i think it has to be um buddy getting run over by the flaming christine mm-hmm. it just looks fucking sweet uh, it's a really cool scene. Yeah, I think, I mean, mine is part of this sequence, but I think I took the best death slightly more literally because I will say my only criticism is that scene is awesome. The shots are great. The actual running over of Buddy is like a little bit less impactful than it could be. Um, sure, okay. What was not is when Christine crashes into the auto body shop and sends Ghostbusters dude's body just flying through the air and against the wall. They use a great dummy. And then that immediately leads to the explosion, which also kills Don. Um, so it's kind of a two for one. But it's like that for me was like the f- if you're going to make a movie about a killer car and you want to keep me entertained, why don't you show me a car killing a bunch of people? You know, that's what I said. Yeah. This is- yeah. I wish this movie was gorier. Yeah, I really do. Mm hmm. Um, of course, unless you're a car. Uh, and then, hey, we're at the carpenter scale. Yeah. Which we've explained before mm-hmm. as how we rate the scariness of these movies. Sure. Uh, this is a tough one. Do you want to? I don't know. Do you want to take this? Yeah, uh, I guess so. I mean, we can go for I was going to say, 
at the end of the day, mm-hmm. I don't think this is a very scary movie. Um, sure. I certainly wasn't scared during it. Oh, yeah. No, it's not that scary. It's a car. It can't be that scary. Uh, I was just going to ask if you, I mean, right off the bat, did you have a pick on the Carpenter scale for this one? Yeah, I think I'm going to go go with, um, uh, let me see. I think I'm going to have to give this one to Christine. Okay. I considered a lot of options, but I think ultimately I will I will go with you and say that this is a Christine. Um, Interesting. Yeah. This might be our first Christine um, on the Carpenter. It might be. I can't remember. Well, there may also be a reason why we don't use Christine that often. <laughs> but I'll say this. So to back away from the, the bit for a second, I actually think this is very useful for us mm-hmm. because this is a movie that aspires to be somewhat scary and mostly doesn't succeed. And I would say... It's because of what it. Uh, it's because of how it's done, right? It's like it's just like something like this just isn't that scary because it's a mm. fucking car, um, and I feel like we've had movies like that, and we'll have more movies where it's like, yeah, this movie wishes it was scary, but it's just like how scary is, you know? It's like what Book of Shadows, right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Where it's like that movie wanted to be scary, but it's like, uh, I'm sorry, you guys, the stuff you decided to do just isn't that scary, you know? Yeah. Uh, okay, and then lastly, Mary Fuck Kill. Is this a movie that we're going to want to, you know, put a ring on, mm-hmm. watch it again and again? Or, or are we going to just, uh, you know, have a, a roll in the hay every once in a while just for fun, for old times' sake? Mm-hmm. Or is this one that we just straight up want to kill, never want to watch again? All right, I have to ask before I make a final decision here. Um, what is the scale? Is this of all? Is this just in all of Killstreak? Is this in uh, amongst Carpenter movies? Oh, I think uh, it has to be. I think it has to be uh, amongst Carpenter movies. Okay, because right. I, I mean, uh, usually when I think of Mary Fuck Kill, it's like in terms of the series. I I know you say that, but I think that's such a hard standard to hold to, especially okay, especially when you're doing like a three movie series where it's just like sure, sure, sure. Like this is yeah. the worst one of the three. Like so, I think yeah, that yeah. logic worked for Friday the Thirteenth, but to yeah, like, maybe you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but oh yeah, so maybe more just a general movie. Okay, as a movie. I'm going to do that then because I'd like to okay. be that allows me to be more fair to the movie I think because um, well I can just say that like within the filmography of John Carpenter it's a borderline kill for me but mm. I think when you remove it from those uh, the you know the the high uh, what's the air up there the I forget what the term is. I can't think of fucking words anymore. Um, (laughs) It's quarantine brain. Yeah, it it really is. Um, But I mean, when you just open it up to everything, I think it's a fuck for me. It's like, and that is because like, okay, it looks like a carpenter movie. It looks fucking great. It's lit great. It's shot great. The music is great. It has a handful of sequences that are really, really cool. And then the rest of it, doesn't work that well for me, but it's mostly just guilty of being slow and kind of like not as interesting as it could have been. And the plot is a little unjustified, but it's like, it's not a painful viewing experience by any stretch. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Like we've seen bad movies and this isn't a bad movie. This is just a movie that kind of fails at being as cool as it could be. 
Uh, but there's certainly enough here that I would throw a fuck its way. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. It's a fuck for me. Um, you know, I, I previous to this, I probably would have called it a kill just based mm-hmm. on my own recollection of it. But I'm glad I watched it this time. I had fun. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, It's like you said, it's a well-made movie. It's well shot. looks great. Performances are pretty much great. Uh, you know, obviously, there's there's some stuff that isn't. Yeah, we didn't really talk about that much, but the actors are good. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. especially all of the supporting actors. I think mm-hmm. they're wonderful. Yeah. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's not a very scary movie. It's a silly concept that, like, yeah, I mean, I guess it could work, but it's gonna be it's an uphill battle trying to make a car scary. Yeah, and playing it straight like this movie wants to do. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, but I had fun watching it. Maybe I'll revisit it in a few years. Yeah. If it ever comes on again, or if I ever want to check it out, I know that there's a period of the movie where I can safely play threes and not, <laughs> and not miss anything. Yeah. Just and then maybe put my phone down for the last half hour or so. Right. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, cool. Th- well, that that does it for Christine, our first of four John Carpenter, Carpenter scale movies for the month of October. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with a much beloved segment. Okay, guys, we're back, and you know we don't really get we haven't had a chance yet to talk about one of our favorite authors. He's come up a lot during the course of this episode, Stephen King. You know, there aren't a lot of horror movie series yeah. that Stephen King is responsible for. Maybe save, like, Children of the Corn or something. Yeah, there's a few. Uh, Children of the Corn, did they make... I know there's a sequel to Sometimes They Come Back. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, maybe I, just two. I feel like there's a lot of sequels, but not a lot of series. Yeah, Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to take one of our patented kill streak uh, segments, Mount Rushgore, and we're going to assemble a Mount Rushgore of Stephen King horror movie adaptations. Yeah, and that was something we discussed uh, prior to recording, obviously, because arguably two of my favorite Stephen King adaptations mm-hmm. are not uh, horror movies at all. Yeah, agreed. And I mean, uh, for me personally, um, Stand By Me is one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm. Uh, so that would certainly have been on there if it sure. were just a general Stephen King thing. Um, but yeah, so now we're just going to be talking about his horror specific movies. Yeah. And I think just for let's suss out some other ground rules real fast. Sure. Uh, and we can kind of use this portion for some honorable mentions as well, because as cliche as it is, no one can deny the cultural impact of Shawshank Redemption. Right, Uh, absolutely. And if you tell me that that movie comes on TV and it's the last 30 minutes and you're not watching it, you're a goddamn liar. Yep. Um, One of the best movies ever made. Yeah. Um, So let's talk about what's being adapted. Anything could be adapted, but we're talking about adaptation, right? So we're not talking about original for the screen. Right. Right? Right. Okay. So, um, like a big one here that got cut from my list that I will say is for sure would be on my list otherwise. I'm not including Creep Show. Um, okay. Because 
it is primarily original work written for the movie. There are two short stories in it that are adaptations of King short stories. But uh, that's in total, you have five. So only two of the five are are adaptations. Right? So then I guess I should cross Creepshow <laughs> off of my, <laughs> I mean, of my picks. Or talk me out of it. I mean, you know, we could. I mean, I, I think. There, it was also um, a comic book, a graphic novel, mm-hmm. uh, but I guess maybe it was. I'm not sure of the time, like the. Uh, I suspect that was made for the movie. Made for the movie. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, the film was adapted into a comic book soon after I mean, the they're... film's release. Okay, I I think I'm with you. I think mm-hmm. I'm with you. Uh, although, okay, fine. I'm willing. I'm gonna cross it off my goddamn list. <laughs> I mean, it's. I'll say this, and we well, let's talk about this. It makes the list a little bit less interesting because it does. Yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of what I'm struggling with because other than that, I think the uh, the what I have mm-hmm. for my Mount Rushmore is. Pretty much what you'd expect yeah. on a Mount Rushmore. Well, so yeah, I think that three of the four movies on my list for sure. There there are just three movies, and we'll get to them shortly, but there are three movies here that are just sort of universally acclaimed as mm. being great movies that are adaptations mm. of Stephen King horror. None of them is like really Eric and I have a wheelhouse, right? Like there's a kind of yeah. horror that we gravitate to towards the most. And maybe, you know, it'd be interesting if we had a third chair that was, was had a slightly different sensibility, you know, that wasn't so pulled towards uh culty 80s um gore, splatter, splatstick, you know, the occasional yeah. dark comedy kind of thing. But, I mean, that's just, that's who we are, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not to speak for you, but um, that's who I no, am. No, I think that's, that is very well put. Um, yeah. Given the choice, if I'm going to choose between mm. a recent serious horror movie and, like, fucking Slumber Party Massacre 2, I'm right. probably going to pick Slumber Party Massacre yeah, 2. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think... That when you look at what this Mount Rushmore will probably be, it's going to be a little bit more prestigious than that. And it's yes. going to be a little um, less fun, I think, is maybe the best way to put it. And it's unfortunate because I think Creepshow is a movie that really fills that quotient of, like, it is fun, it's gory, it's got the right kind of attitude and style that we both are really uh, drawn to. Um, mm-hmm. So Creepshow is on... Should we just add a fifth head to Mount Rushmore for yeah yeah for non-official be, uh, adaptations? Yeah, it'll be. Uh, isn't there like another Mount Rushmore, like basically equivalent? That's a uh, oh no Stone Mountain. I'm thinking of the Confederate. Mm. Um, the Confederate. <laughs> that's that's your is our Stone Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fantastic. So let's get into it, and we can kind of talk about how these movies end up on this list and like what's missing too, right? Sure. Um, do you want to go first or you want me to go first? Uh, why don't you go first? Okay. Uh, so I'll go ahead and I'll take one of the big obvious pieces off the board. Um, so my first nomination for Mount Rushcore will be The Shining. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, you know, 
I have an uncle uh, who I used to watch lots of movies with when I was a kid, and he's a cool guy. He's got great taste in films. Turned me on to so much stuff uh, that I love to this day. Uh, and he once said to me the funny, like the cool thing about Stanley Kubrick, and this was an argument that he made in the '90s. So things were, you know, things have changed a little bit since then. And these ranking the best movies ever made is very subjective, right? But he said. There is an argument to be made for Stanley Kubrick that he has made uh, the greatest sci-fi movie of all time in 2001 A Space Odyssey. He's made the greatest horror movie of all time in The Shining. He made the greatest war movie ever made with Full Metal Jacket. Uh, and then I've never seen Barry Lyndon, but apparently he loves Barry Lyndon too. And he's like, it's yeah, the, that's the, yeah. that's like one of the only ones I've never seen either because it seems incredibly boring. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, Kubrick is that kind of guy who just makes like amazing, amazing movies, right? I was never a diehard Kubrick dude. He's a little too cold for me. Uh, and also, like you know, his movies are fucking super long, which we've talked about this before. But um, I I respect the shit out of him. He's not my favorite director, and that is exactly how I feel about The Shining. I respect the shit out of it. I do think it is very scary, and I will give it a ton of credit for that because yeah. not a lot of movies scare me. Um, and it is a scary movie, but it is also. Uh, you know, we just we talk about horror. It's a different kind of horror than the kind of thing I usually sit down to watch. It's very psychological. It's very methodical. It's, um, but it looks amazing and it's scary and it's. I mean, and it's just like its impact is un. It's inarguable. It is. It is one of the most famous and well loved horror movies of all time. What about? What do you think? No, I mean I love I love The Shining. Uh, I do. I am a big Kubrick mark, um, mm-hmm. and I do. You know me. I love a good cold, distant. <laughs> put me at our. Put me at arm's length, baby. Um, and it's funny because Stephen King himself hates The Shining, mm-hmm. uh, the movie. And in response, he made that god awful Mick Garris the Andrew Weber, from yeah, like the nineties. Mm-hmm. That is just not good at all. Uh, and I, I was like, man, take the L on this one. It's it's a good. I I love The Shining. Um, mm-hmm. Also, another movie that like The Thing was totally uh, derided. I think when it came out, or at least seen as like a lesser Kubrick. Sure. Well, it's just. I mean, the genre itself gets so much disrespect, yeah, right? So exactly. Uh, okay, well, I think that's a great pick. Uh, uh, you know, obvious pick. Mm-hmm. It's got to be on there. My next one. It's come up on several Mount Rush scores, I think. Yeah. Another obvious pick, Carrie. Mm-hmm. Brian De Palma's Carrie. Um, might have been the first Stephen King adaptation, actually. I believe so. Which is, which is noteworthy in and of itself. And really, still one of the best. Um, ever, I mean, we've talked about Carrie every single episode, it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a wonderful yeah, movie. It is. Um, and it's a great book. Um, Sissy Spacek just turns it a legendary performance um and you know it's not the scariest of movies but it is certainly very disturbing even Mm -hmm. by modern day standards like yeah it's it's something that gets under your skin um and yeah so that's my pick for the second head on mount rush score smiling next to jack torrance will be carrie white's bloody (laughs) face (laughs) 
I like it. Um, okay, my next pick is going to be... I'm going to throw out there the only movie that I have on my list that I think is at home with a larger list of my favorite horror movies. Um and it's and it's funny because I think once you get past like the first tier of Stephen King adaptations, the bottom drops out fast, very fast. Yeah. Um. So another movie I want to shout out another movie that I left off the list because of genre concern, which would be on my Mount Rushmore. Otherwise, I have. Uh, <laughs> but now I'm worried. I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna spoil your. Uh, did did you, did you might did one of yours come out in 1983? Um, no. Okay. Okay. No. So, oh no! It, it, I was toying with putting it on there. But yeah. No, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, yeah. So the Dead Zone, um, yeah. which is a great movie. I love David Cronenberg. Um, arguably as much as I love John Carpenter, they are neck and neck for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely not a horror movie. It's sort of no, it's no. sci-fi at best. Um, more of a thriller. Um, so my pick is going to be for the third spot, and I'm I'm not going to be shocked to hear that this was on Eric's list too. Uh, Pet Cemetery. Um, oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, that's not. It was not on my list. So Pet Cemetery, I I toyed with a couple different things, and this came down to this movie scared me so bad when I was a kid. Sure. And I've watched it recently with Kenda, and it's like, here's the thing, okay? The acting from the two principals in Pet Cemetery fucking sucks. Um, uh-huh. And outside of that, I think it's actually great. And so it's one of those things where you can really see how heavy a toll something like that can take. Yeah. Because I think it is well written. I think Fred Gwynn is great. I love him in it. Um yeah. It's scary as hell. It's shot great. Mary Lambert, I think, directs the hell out of this movie. Uh, it's just that those two main actors, which let's get that Dale Midkiff and Denise Crosby, they both kind of suck. Um, mm-hmm. And and it really drags the whole thing down. But not so much that I don't really enjoy watching it. And the thing is, it's like I've seen this movie like 10 times probably. And, oh wow! Like I chose to rewatch it within the last eight months because uh, Kendall was like, "Oh, I've never seen it." I was like, "Oh shit, we gotta watch Pet Cemetery. It's scary." Um, and Still I just said, "Yeah, I think it's great." I mean, like it's like I said, it's like if you can get past these bad these bad performances, I think the rest of the movie around it is really good. Um, and it's also just like it's the kind of horror that I would rather watch given my own accord like there's another movie that like i is on my top four that i was like well, should I, which one should i say and the other one is like it's a great movie but it's just like it's not that kind of horror movie that i'm like excited to watch and pet cemetery is it's like people coming back from the dead it's gory yeah. it's violent it's scary that's what i'm into i don't really want to watch you know like another example of a great king adaptation dolores claiborne is like a really sure. well done movie it's a psychological thriller really you know right right. um so yeah that's where i landed for this but this is a harder exercise than i think i was prepared for coming into it it really is and i'm still struggling with it um Mm. 
I like that. I like that pick. Um, so I'm really at a crossroads here. Okay. I have two choices left on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, do I go with my head or do I go with my heart? Do you want to talk? Think, do you want to talk about it, or you just want to throw one out there? I I, I think I might want to go with my heart on okay. this one. Though I think you might have some thoughts about it. Okay. Okay. Can so, I? As soon as you tell me, if it's then I want to guess what the one you left off was. Okay. Okay. Uh, so of course I'm talking about Julie Genapathy, uh, which is the Indonesian <laughs> adaptation of. This is great. This is a great bet. This is hilarious. Of misery, uh-huh. um, which I think you can take or leave the 1990 Rob mm. Reiner one, whatever. Julie Gunapathy is on. I mean, we all know the story. It's uh, Julie Gunapathy is a staunch pop fan of a popular television show called Manga. Uh, over the years, Julie grows to identify herself obsessively with the main characters of the show. I mean, we all know this. The author of the series, Tenkasi Balakumaran, who of course is played by Jaya What is happening? Leaves his home for a few days to be alone to write the final few episodes of the manga of manga. How long are you going to do this? Of course. I'm going to read that. No. Okay, so what I struggled with is do I pick Misery mm-hmm. or do I pick the movie I actually probably like more, which is The Mist? I think so. I think I'm going to yeah. go with The Mist. Okay. So I um, support I support you at heart. Say what you want to say, and then I'll and I'll weigh in at the end. Um. Okay. So this comes with the caveat that I've only seen The Mist the one time, mm-hmm. and it fucking blew me away. Yeah. Um, I thought the character, the monster design was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Conceptually, is a very scary movie. Yeah. Um, just like these eldritch horrors coming out mm-hmm. of the mist. Um, the ending is insanely dark in yeah. a way that's like pretty hard, pretty hard to watch. <laughs> um, I won't spoil it if you haven't seen it. <laughs> now that being said, I heard you rewatched it recently yeah. and you didn't like it as much, right? Yeah, unfortunately, yes. That is, like, that ending that you're talking about, like, I couldn't keep a straight face during this time. Like, I remembered it as being painful and dark, and this time I was like, fuck, you have to be kidding me. This is ridiculous. Really? Okay. Yes. And and also, the special effects have not aged great. That That would be the other big thing that I would level at it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to trust you on this because I do think that maybe just the initial watching of mm-hmm. it has colored my opinion. So yeah. maybe I will then go with Misery, which it, is... I mean, if it helps you, I've watched Misery very recently too, and I definitely think that like personal feelings aside, it is almost impossible to make any argument other than Misery is a vastly superior movie to the movie. Yes, exactly. It is yeah. It is a well... I mean, Kathy Bates won the Academy Award for it. Yeah. Like, that performance is fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was an interesting little journey we went on there, guys. Sorry, but we were kind of talking it out in real time. No, this is I, this is what the fans want to hear, I think. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think then Misery has is going to be the fourth... Mm-hmm. Um, head on there. I mean, God, that hobbling scene, which is different than in the novel. Yeah. But infinitely more disturbing. Which is, is funny because they changed it 
to to ostensibly make it less disturbing. Yeah, and it it made it so much worse. <laughs> it's way worse. Um, yeah, and I, it's uh, it's something I should probably revisit again. But I've seen it a couple times growing up. It was mm-hmm. a hit in the old Gosselin household. Yeah. Uh, so there we have it, guys. We I have ha- what do we? Have? I mean, do you? I mean, I, if you don't object, I know this is becoming a long episode, but it's like I am so overflowing with thoughts about these adaptations of Stephen King movies, mm-hmm. and it's so. I went through the exact same struggle that you went through with Misery, but mine was, uh, you know, it was just like this is. It's the same way I feel about The Shining, which is like these are really good movies, but they're not really what I want, you know? Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, like, The Mist is kind of more of, like, what I want, mm-hmm. but maybe I, I'm i willing to, like, take a step back and be like, maybe yeah. it's not what I want, I, and I just and did at the time. And the thing is, what we want, I think, ultimately, is movies about stories like The Mist that are just done better. And Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, The Mist is absolutely one of his greatest, scariest short stories ever. Like, mm-hmm. that thing drove me nuts when I first read it. And it's like this list is just littered with the dead bodies of movies that should have been better. Yeah. Um, it's crazy to me how many of these just fail, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, a move like I honestly, like for a while, I considered putting the 2017 It adaptation on here. Yeah, I, it crossed my mind, but I haven't seen the second half. It's uh, fucking terrible, and I feel like right. I like I wish I could say what would have happened if the second one hadn't come out yet. If you just asked me to put the first it on a list, because I really enjoyed it, but the yeah. second one is just fucking. Tr- it's such trash. I cannot cannot say enough negative shit about it. Chapter two. And um, I know, like the stand, mm-hmm. the uh, the miniseries was uh, huge for me when it came out mm-hmm. in '94. I loved it. I rewatched it again. Yeah. And then I rewatched it as an adult, and it fucking sucks. <laughs> it is not good at yeah. all. TV um, miniseries do not age well. No, um, no, not at all. There are two fairly recent movies that both got good reviews that I haven't seen. They're both Netflix originals. One is Gerald's Game. Sure, yeah, right. Mike Flanagan. Right, who did Dr. Sleep. And then the other is called 1922, which is a Tom Jane joint. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've read that short, that novella from Full no, Dark. It's from Full Dark, No Stars. It's it's very dark. Um, full Dark. There's no stars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I both of those I want to check out. And I think the, the, the most damning slash illustrating thing I can say about this this whole list of Stephen King adaptations is that if either one of those movies is pretty good, mm-hmm. it could get onto this list. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. All it really takes is just a pretty good movie adapted from a, a Stephen King horror story to become at easily at least part of the top five. You know, but like I'm looking at this list and it is so many fucking stinkers. In yeah, here. even movies that I kind of like, like I kind of like Maximum Overdrive. Mm-hmm. And I love, I mean, I love The Running Man, but it's so not a Stephen King. It's sure. not a horror movie. Right. And it is nothing like the, the, the mm-hmm. story or the novella. Um, yeah, I mean, like, Lawnmower Man has nothing to do with the short story, <laughs> and it fucking sucks. Right. Uh, yeah. Dark Half, I haven't seen since I, you know, 
probably 97 mm-hmm. or something. I, I have no idea. Thinner is kind of fun. Sure, yeah. Yeah, but it's like, but that's it's a Bachman what, book. Yeah, so what else can you count. say about it? <laughs> yeah. Um, the Mangler, no. Terrible. Um, Dreamcatcher, which is like legendarily bad. Yeah. Secret Window is fucking awful. <laughs> like, yeah, this it is uh-huh. just a bunch of bad ones. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, I don't mean to just read off of a list, but no, like Cell, I never saw. Yeah. Even though I, I like the book. Although I've heard it's actually not very good. Dark Tower is supposed to be horrible. Yeah. And Doctor Sleep, I thought Doctor Sleep was excellent. Yeah. But it's I just I saw it like it. two months ago, so I can't really like yeah. pick that up. It would be a... weird to have The Shining and Doctor Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I think I think if anything, the takeaway here is that this is not uh a hard and firm Mount Rushgore like Things could move around in the years to come, because yeah. there's also the one other thing you see if you go look at this list, like on on Wikipedia, is they currently have one, two, three, four, about ten feature film adaptations of Stephen King works currently uh, in the works. <laughs> yeah, and oh wow, Alex Ross Perry's doing um, Dark, Dark Half, Half again. Yeah, from a Buick Eight, the movie I mentioned is is mm-hmm. getting a adapted uh mike flanagan is doing um revival which is a good book we we've talked a little bit about that yeah i like that one a lot Mm -hmm. tommy knockers interesting that's one i've never read that's on my list i was uh got viewer listeners viewers listeners guys um (laughs) i was planning on rereading a lot of stephen king books over this like lockdown time Mm -hmm. and i started and then i sort of burnt out and got distracted by other books but tommy knockers i do have i should read i should read that but too I'm, never have yeah it's supposed to be his weirdest book anyway this is a very long episode <laughs> we should wrap it up yeah absolutely um, um so just a couple of things we want to talk about real fast uh oh, of course yeah I yeah forgot completely so coming up this thursday is going to be our first live commentary episode dropping um and I will say this a million times between now and the end of the month, but like, do yourself a favor, watch the movie and listen to the commentary. It will be, it's, it's a, it's a watch along. It's a hangout thing. This is not, yeah. it's, it's not a standalone episode. Um, no. Yeah. You're going to want to watch the movie while you're listening. We did have a technical <laughs> issue during it. And, and yeah. I'll also say too, if you uh, imbibe or maybe smoke a little, you know, you, you like to get a little smoke loose. Toke, yeah. We're getting loose on the episode. It's, yeah. We're not there to spout facts. It's more of yeah. kind of a goof off. Yeah. Grab a couple drinks, turn it on, and watch with us this Thursday or anytime in the month of October. Maniac, the 1980 film directed by Joe Zito, uh, who we've talked about a little bit on the podcast before. And Eric, who is our special no, guest? William Lustig. Is the oh, yeah. Sorry. William Lustig. I'm thinking of The Burning, aren't I? Yeah. yeah. Frank Zito. Is Frank the, uh, Zito. That's why. Fuck. Yeah. Is the villain. Uh, and our guest is Jefferson Dutton from IFC's The Birthday Boys. Uh, he's in a band called The Sloppy Boys, which is very, very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, comedian. And his great friend. Guy. And his friends call him Jeff. Yeah, his so. friends call him Jeff. Yes. Yeah. So but we call him Jefferson a lot during that episode. <laughs> um, it was a blast to do. I think it'll be a lot of fun to listen to. So please join us for that. Um, yeah, we we have we have some more great guests. 
that we'll announce in these episodes, like the week before they happen or mm-hmm. the episode before they happen. So please stay tuned. It's fun. Yeah. We're having a great time doing them. And then Eric, do you want to shout out next week's movie? If people want to get ready for the next in the Carpenter October series. Yeah. I'm excited to cover this one because uh-huh. it's been a long ass time since I've seen it. We're going to be talking about escape from LA, <laughs> not escape from New York. We're going to be going with yeah. the much derided sequel <laughs> escape from LA. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to take an opportunity to do one non-horror entry uh, for Carpenter yeah. month. And so, yeah, this is our flyer. I'm looking forward to it. I haven't seen it since it came out because I was also shocked and disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, I remember I went to the theaters. I was camping Mm -hmm. with my aunt and uncle, and and, uh, they brought us to the movie theater for the night. There's a theater in town, and we saw Escape from L.A., and we all walked out of there. I was like, that was very bad, (laughs) even in 1996. (laughs) I I did not like that at all. But, hey, maybe maybe times have changed enough. Yeah. My tastes have changed and I'll enjoy it. Who knows? And we get to watch it through the prism of having lived in LA for 15 years since it came out. You know? <laughs> yeah. And we are, I essentially do live in a prison island. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I escaped from LA. You're right. Uh, okay, guys, you can find us on Twitter at Killstreak Pod. Please give us a follow. Mm-hmm. I've been uh, tweeting out what we've been watching, um, you know, kind of so you can keep up with us during yeah. these Halloween times. Uh, so yeah, Mike, make sure you send me if you decide to throw on a horror movie. Absolutely. I'll put it up there and you guys can know what we're up to. Yeah. Even if it's something we're not going to cover on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, leave uh, us a voicemail. Yeah, leave us a voicemail. Also, I want to say it's been a long time since I've said this because it gets repetitive, but I do want to I want to put out there, if you're a regular listener and you like the podcast and you want to see it continue, the best thing you can do for us is leave us a rating and an actual written review on Apple Podcasts that does more heavy lifting than anything else you can do. So please, Absolutely. if you have a moment, it only takes two minutes. We'd really appreciate it. All right. Uh, our website is killstreakpod.com. Um, and I think that just about covers it. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I have a quote that I have to say. Do you want me to do it? Wow. No, no, I got it. <laughs> okay, because I got I got one. I got one, too. Okay. And as always... A toast, death to the shitters of the world, 1979.